He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 17, 2022. An interesting week, especially for Mike Lindell. We addressed that this show because Lindell is at the head of a movement that is commonly referred to as a Christian nationalist movement. And there was a good article by Conrad Swanson in the Denver Post about Christian nationalism and Lauren Boebert. It's now featured in the Drudge Report. It's interesting. The Drudge Report is concerned about Christian nationalism, which makes sense, even though it leans conservative. Matt Drudge is a gay Jewish guy, not unlike Jared Polis, who happens to be a gay Jewish guy. And I happen to be a Jewish guy, and I believe in gay rights, and I believe we have a special sensitivity to Christian nationalism, especially when it merges with election denialism, as we've seen in America with Lauren Boebert, with her old campaign manager, Sharona Bishop, her colleague, Tina Peters. And we wonder what's going on, Mike Lindell. Maybe your iPhone seized at a Mankato Hardee's will reveal how you and others are trying to destroy democracy. Well, we have the perfect antidote. It's called Amber McReynolds. It's not an it. She's a she, a mother, a Denverite. And I think she has a bright future in the possibility of a lot of rules. Maybe a political figure, maybe a great objective appointee because her expertise, democracy, elections in particular, the right to vote. And she came to Colorado after the London School of Economics and an interesting collegiate career, which included a special encounter with Adam Kinzinger. And Adam Kinzinger and her remained friends, and they remained concerned about democracy. Now, some of my old friends, they're not that concerned about democracy, or they see the threat from another direction. In response to the Post piece, my old radio partner, Dan Kaplis, he had to make a decision. Does he go along with the Post piece? Of course not. That's the left-wing media, and Dan has been screaming about persecution of Christians for quite a while. And you could laugh it off back in the day, but now that Christian nationalism is ascendant, it's not that easy to laugh it off. And I can't just laugh off Mike Lindell, although every uh, comedian, Colbert, Kimmel, they all had a great time with Jimmy Fallon, too, with and Trevor Noah, I like him, with Mike Lindell and having his phone seized at that Mankato Hardee's. But I think there is real seriousness behind Mike Lindell and this movement that he's spending his money on. 
And at the back end of this show, after Amber McReynolds, after Troubadour Dave Gunders, Dave Gunders has another perfect song called Crazy For You, and Mike Lindell's kind of crazy, but not according to Dan Kaplis, who every morning has to make a decision, how do I respond to the news? And he gets direction from his producer, Ryan Schuling, and from Fox News and the House Judiciary Committee, or I'm sorry, the House Republicans, because they put out tweets, and somehow they're going to back Mike Lindell against the FBI. And holy cow, are you kidding me? No, it was obviously predictable that Dan Kaplis, who's been championing Lauren Boebert, would have her on. But the way that this happened, it just kind of sickens me. Because being at 630K, how a legacy station was special back when I was on it, back when they paid good money to host afternoon radio instead of the hosts paying for the show as they come on for their business. And I don't care. Make your money. That's what a lot of people on the right do, but don't ruin America. Don't give a platform to people who want to destroy democracy. Call out Lindell. Call out Boebert. Instead, this once great station is turned into the equivalent of KLC or religious programming. Listen to how they handled the Denver Post story. Dan Kaplis, who will be the subject of my right-wing media watch at the end of this show. But I wanted to give you a taste of the back rub he gave Lauren Boebert and the back of his hand he gave to the Denver Post when they raise a real legitimate concern. And even the conservative Drudge Report has it up there right now this weekend. That Denver Post story, and listen to how Dan Kaplis and uh, that, uh, he seems like he is really right-wing. I don't know Ryan Schuling that well, but Tucker Carlson is like the gospel to him. And if you stay tuned toward the end, he sort of gets into it with Dan Kaplis because he's even further to the right. He's from Michigan, and oh my goodness, how far they will go, the right wing in Michigan. I'm worried about America. I'm worried when you hear something like this on 630 KHOW, this kind of propaganda, disinformation, and listen to this bumper music. Here you go. Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, cause I can't do this all on my own, I'm letting go, so give me one more chance, save me from this road I'm on, Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, Ryan Schuling, you're such a dangerous man playing such a dangerous song as a bumper oh my goodness this is so rich the denver post completely freaked out that christians might actually vote their faith because they know at that point the democrats are doomed so they run this goofy piece it'd be goofy on the editorial pages but it's insane on the news pages it's pure opinion and it's goofy, anti-Christian, bigoted opinion. The headline is, Lauren Boebert is part of a dangerous religious movement that threatens democracy, experts say. And as I read this piece, the so-called experts, 
who appear very nutty to me. I don't care what kind of credentials they have, that their work product appears very nutty. For the experts, it comes down to, yeah, she wants Christians to vote their faith. That's really dangerous. Congresswoman Boebert, welcome back to the Dan Kaplan Show. Dan, it's so great to be uh, with you today. You know, I, I laughed most of the way through that article. Um, it is so funny how the left will just take things and redefine them to fit their narrative at all at all expenses. I, I, they will go in any direction that they want from saying that we are not in a recession and redefining that and celebrating mm-hmm. an Inflation Reduction Act that's not actually reducing inflation. And now that saying um, just somebody speaking in front of Christians saying, get out and be bold and vote your faith um, is somehow triggering violence. It's absolutely absurd, Dan. Oh, it, it really is. And it's a compliment to you, obviously, you know, that they now have to make up goofy stuff like this, you know, with, with this anti-Christian edge, you know, because they know you're going to win. They know that you've acquired enormous influence in the process. And uh, and so they just have to try to find a way to bring you down. But I think they're just hurting themselves in the process. Now, Congresswoman, they say that you are pushing for a, quote, religious takeover of America Yet the piece doesn't provide any evidence of that that I can see. So there you have it. Why is he on my brain? Because he matters. I think that the brouhaha between Kaplis and Brockler and Kyle Clark, I think that Heidi Ganahl has taken her lead from them and she won't talk to Kyle Clark because Kyle Clark called out Dan Kaplis and George Brockler in Douglas County and their shenanigans. So Heidi Ganahl wants to plead, please Brockler and Kaplis. They're in bed together now. They were once law partners. You hear that part on the ad. Oh, my goodness. I know what happened to their partnership back in the day, and it wasn't pretty. It didn't end well. But for money, these guys will say the darndest things. And that's okay, too. I don't mind the money-making, the grifting, but... When it's ruining society, when you're backing the play of Lauren Boebert, an election denialist, and you put up with a party that puts up with Donald Trump, doesn't just put up with them. He's celebrated. He's the head guy, and you don't do anything about it. Well, I think that's a matter of public concern. Why don't these guys have on Amber McReynolds with regularity. She's smart. She knows election systems. Instead of putting on these callers who keep saying the election was rigged, put on somebody who knows about Colorado voting. Have somebody with the courage to call out Joe Oldman. Peter Boyles had his show. He didn't call out Joe Oldman when he booted Randy Corcoran from his 9 a.m. spot. He doesn't have the guts to call out Oldman. Or Mike Lindell. Maybe he'll call out Lindell, but then he puts his ads on. Mike Lindell sponsors that show. That's what's going on at KNUS, where corporate still has a show. Matt Dunn on Sunday night. Just putting out the biggest bunch of bullshit about the election, which leads to January 6th, which leads to the possible end of democracy. Now, who's going to fight it? It's going to be Amber McReynolds. She's a bright rising star. I think she could be anything within reason. I don't know. President? No, that's a stretch. But mayor? Maybe even governor? She's smart. She's calm. She's 
for democracy, for fair elections, for people voting in America, something that the other side needs to suppress because guess what? If enough people vote, the more people vote, the less chance these white Christian males have who share the doctrinaire positions of Dan Kaplis and George Brockler. And so they have to fight it, and they're down with the big lie. They don't really oppose it, and it's disgusting. The furthest thing from disgusting is Amber McReynolds. You can watch her on YouTube, her TED Talk, has got well over a million hits. We talked about that. We talked about everything. Listen to a word from my favorite sponsor, Michael Bailey, and then get ready for a great time with Amber McReynolds, former director of elections for Denver, Colorado, and one of the architects of the gold standard voting system that we enjoy here in this centennial state. Anyway, episode 114, named after Amber McReynolds, is delightful. So is she. So is our troubadour Dave Gunders with his song Crazy For You. Stay tuned for Right Wing Media Watch featuring Dan Kaplis, featuring Mike Lindell, featuring those kind of characters. There's a heck of a show. Enjoy. Thank you. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, Instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to have Amber McReynolds in my studio with my dogs, And I'm going to greet you the way I greeted Jared Polis on episode 102. Hello, Governor. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for that. Yeah, it's a a fun new title. I know, my goodness. You are governor of what? 
so I'm one of uh, the governors for the United States Postal Service. So I was appointed by the president and then went through Senate confirmation. Uh, one in nine governors, plus we have two ex officio governors, namely the postmaster general and the deputy, and we're responsible for overseeing the, the postal service. Appointed by one Joe Biden. Yes, appointed by President Biden. Now, you are familiar that I'm a trial lawyer by trade and profession. Yes. And what I love about you is I consider you an expert. Well, and I've been an expert, actually, in a number of different election cases in in court. Right, and every time they have to set forth your qualifications before extracting an opinion. Yes, exactly. Okay, and I'm going to try to qualify you as an expert in democracy. Yes, I like to I like to think so, and also an innovator in democracy. And the most important part of democracy, voting. That's right, voting and uh and my approach to conducting elections and policies and everything is is a voter first approach. All right, I don't want to diminish other aspects of Amber McReynolds, and the beauty of a podcast is I'm going to get you well qualified before extracting your opinion about are we on the brink here in America? What about that former president, Donald Trump? What about Tina Peters? What about Lauren Boebert? What about Jenna Ellis? What about Mike Lindell, whose phone was seized? We are going to get there. But you are more than just an expert. You're a mother. You're a Denverite. You're a business person. You are you are a TED Talk extraordinaire. My goodness. I watched your TED Talk. Millions have. How many hits? And how did you end up doing that TED Talk that went viral? Well, I was actually invited uh, early in 2020 by TED TEDx here in Denver. And so I did a TEDx for the Denver version, and they didn't have the in-person show in 2020 because of COVID. So it was all remote. Uh, recorded that, and then I got notified a few months after that that they wanted to put it on the international TED.com uh, platform. And so there's been, I think, close to 1.4 million people, maybe more, have watched it. Right. So Because you were so smart, and you got me right away. And I want to grab the audience right here, right now, because you got infuriated by the very same thing that infuriated me. First of all, I'm not a patient person. And I vote, but I'm not going to stand in a line for like 20 minutes to get in a ball game. Forget about it. I'll watch it on TV. So you saw those lines, Georgia, Texas, not in Colorado, because you made sure that stuff doesn't happen. But when I see those lines, I get so angry. Why would you do that in America? Why would you make it so hard to vote? That's how you grab people with that TED Talk. I encourage everybody to watch it. Plus, you look great. I mean, how did you choose your outfit that day? Or do you always dress the same way? You're kind of dressed the same way today. I know you have, you're going around on your rounds, but that's got to be a big choice if you're giving a TED Talk to over a million people. It is. And I, and I wore a, a navy dress with purple. And the purple um, is, a, is a couple of things. First, uh, 2020 was the celebration of, of the 19th Amendment and a historic landmark 
um, past then. So purple was a huge part of the women's suffrage movement. Uh, I happen to like Navy, but purple also, um, for me, I'm unaffiliated. And so I, I see purple as a, as a, a color that reflects an, a nonpartisan and unaffiliated view. And, and I believe strongly that our democracy and how elections are run need to align with that nonpartisan approach. Gosh, that turns me on. Not just your <laughs> outfit. I'm talking about the unaffiliated thing. Yeah. Because I ran as an unaffiliated candidate in 1996 saying, hey, I understand there's a place for politics, but not in prosecution. And what I hear you saying, there's a place for politics, but not in vote counting, right? Yeah, I, I think it's important. And this is one of the improvements that I would like to see in our democracy. And one of the ways that I think we can strengthen our democracy is to ensure that there are guardrails around how our elections are conducted, ensure they're nonpartisan, ensure that the partisan extremes and now you're politics giving your stay opinion out of the day. Before I even qualify oh, you, okay. you're jumping Sorry. the gun. Sorry, Your Honor. <laughs> I'm trying to qualify her. Next thing you know, she's going to say, yeah, she goes all the way back to Abe Lincoln and people like that on this. Do you? What's your upbringing? Yeah. So my, uh, I grew up in Illinois. I moved to Colorado in 2005. So I've been here a long time now. My children only know Colorado as a home. Um, but I grew up in Illinois uh, and my uh, my my dad has been a judge there on the bench for a long time. Uh, he was a public defender before that, uh, and my mom was a school teacher. Um, and then I have. Well, there's lots of Illinois. Are you talking about Chicago or no? Nope, a, a small town in western Illinois near the Quad Cities, so close to the Mississippi River. Uh, we're about 35 miles in from from the Mississippi River, um, and I grew up in a small town. And it was, you know, a, a very community-orientated place. And my grandparents lived there, and uh, w- who I was very close to. But your dad, as the local judge, or did he ride a circuit? And, you know, I've heard about Abe Lincoln riding a circuit in Illinois. Does that have any application to your family? Yeah, my dad is a judge in the 14th Judicial Circuit, which covers five, four counties. Um, and so he covered a, a multitude of of different communities in around our town where I grew up in. Uh, and then, like I said, he was a defense lawyer, but also served as public defender for many years. And and I remember growing up, and uh, we would, my sister and I would walk uh, to his law office uh, a few blocks from our school, and and got to help with some of the activities in the law firm, including organizing papers and putting books away and helping Dad out when we could when we were little. Nice. We like lawyers on this show, <laughs> and we like the rule of law. But uh, did that instill in you a respect for the rule of law? Was your dad a fair judge, or was he political? He was not political, and, and he was exceedingly fair. Uh, he taught us to be fair with how we approached things and to weigh all different um, uh, pieces of evidence and facts and the truth. And uh, he really instilled in us the importance of integrity and uh, doing the right thing. Um, and uh, he was not political. In fact, he chose not to run. Uh, he was appointed to be an associate judge, but he deliberately chose not to run for one of the judge seats that you could run for and instead wanted to uh, stay out of that. He never wanted to have his name on a ballot. What was his name? His name is Dana McReynolds. Is he still alive? Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. He's uh, he's actually about to retire in December of this year. There are a lot of famous judges named McReynolds. Oh, really? Are you related? 
I don't, I'm not sure. I what about your uh, mother? My mom uh, was a school teacher, so she taught home economics and um, com- consumer science, and she stayed home with us for a number of years, and she actually started an interior design business because she's exceedingly talented. Um, and then when we were in high school, she went back to start teaching again, and she's teaching right now, actually, uh, for a final semester before my dad retires. Do they and, still teach home economics? No. So a lot of the, a lot of those programs get cut, um, right. but she's back uh, teaching a couple of different consumer science uh, courses. So what about you? Public school? So where'd you go to high school? Yeah, I went, my uh, school was a, a small town school, uh, public high school, public junior high. Uh, elementary, I went to a Lutheran school, and I went to, I also spent a few years at a Catholic school. Um, my cousins were there, and so my parents decided they thought it would be good for us to be there. We weren't Catholic, but we went to a Catholic school. Um, I was there till second grade, and then spent the majority of my time at public school. You got a little bit of everything. I did, yeah. My parents used to threaten me. They'd say, you want to act like that? We're going to send you to Hillel. And that's the Jewish theological school. And I did not want to go there. Oh. (laughs) I'm proud of being Jewish, but I'm not. I wanted to play sports and do other things. I'm more secular, I guess. What about you? Secular, religious? What are you? Yeah, I I think, um, you know, I... What was great about growing up is my grandparents were Methodists, so we I was actually baptized in a Methodist church. Um, my parents moved to go to St. Paul's Lutheran when we were going to elementary. Um, so I was exposed to a number of different religions growing up. Uh, obviously, was at a few years at a, at a Catholic elementary, um, and then spent the majority of my education in in public high school at Weathersfield in in Illinois. There it is, loved Weathersfield High, Weathersfield Flying Geese. That Holy was our cow. <laughs> and did they shoot him down? No. <laughs> there isn't a goose no. hunting season no. ever. Well, there is in other parts of Illinois, but we did we were we were uh, we did not want to see the flying Your geese flying get shot geese down. Flying geese are protected. Yes. <laughs> you know the nickname of my school, George Washington in Denver. You live in Denver. You should know I, this. It's um. What is it? We uh, are the. You know, everybody debates this word. Who are the patriots? We are the patriots, the mighty, <laughs> mighty patriots. Patriots G-W. means lots of different things to I lots know, of different but people. It means GW to me, and <laughs> I am right. a patriot. I could show you my letter jacket if you want, but That's you probably amazing. don't want that. Listen. I bet you went on to college and even grad school. Tell us about that. I did. I went to University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. Uh, my dad went there. My grandfather went there. Um, and amazing school. Uh, one of the best public institutions in, in the country. And it was an honor to go there. Um, I It's a huge school. So it was very eye-opening coming from a small town to go there. I built some of the most amazing relationships uh, that I still have today uh, at that school. And then um, after my undergrad, uh, I went on to the London School of Economics in England and studied there for two years. What year was that? So I left uh, to go to England in 2001. Okay, I have to jump to a great part of this story right now. One, to see maybe if this brings color to your face, but Mm -hmm. while you were in Illinois and before Mm 9-11, 
Did you meet a guy named Adam Kinsinger? Oh, yeah, I did. So I, uh, Adam was a year in front of me at school, and he was at Illinois State University. Uh, I was at University of Illinois, and I met him my senior year. He was actually running for a county commissioner job, I think, in Bloomington, Illinois. Um, and him and I have been friends ever since. Uh, he's a, he's a, a wonderful person. He was, um, after running for that county commissioner seat, he uh, went on to serve in the Air Guard and, went and was in the military and served multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And I've known him uh, now for more than 20 years, amazingly enough. Right. And you've had some interesting conversations you shared with me. We'll get to that later. But let's go back to you being in London for how long? Uh, Almost two years. Uh, So my master's, I did my master's of science at the London School of Economics. And during my time there, one of the amazing things that I was able to do was I worked in parliament. And I worked for a woman named uh, Harriet Harman. And she at the time was the Solicitor General uh, in Tony Blair's cabinet. So I was able to have this uh, incredible educational uh, experience. But the parliamentary experience and being a part of their political system and their system of government uh, was certainly very um, amazing to be studying comparative politics and then be in a parliamentary system like that in the UK. Yes. And their system of of government, maybe it works better than ours because our two-party system isn't working that well. And again, I leap ahead when I want to tell your story. But while we're in England for a couple of years... I think you may have heard the queen died, Mm -hmm. and they're going to bury her sometime in the next month, sometime. I mean, she's taking quite a trip. I'm not sure she's enjoying it in the casket, but it's tradition and all of that. I look at the monarchy like, whoa, isn't that anti-democratic? How are we supposed to feel about this? How do you feel having spent two years there? Well, what's amazing to me, and, you know, Queen Elizabeth— goodness, served 70 years. I mean, the number of world leaders she dealt with, the number of prime ministers that, that you know, she saw weekly, um, you, you sort of look at the monarchy and it evolved tremendously during her time because she is the longest serving. Um, and so it's, to me, it's it's interesting to see this this institution that has this incredible tradition and this incredible history, and then you see this evolution and this modernization and different aspects. And, and you know, she was queen during, you know, many, you know, so many of the different world conflicts and wars and the colonies obviously were changing all over the world uh, with with Brit- with Britain, and it's it to me it's just an incredible history to see and this evolution. It is. is she a democratic hero or an anti-hero? Because a monarchy is like the opposite of democracy. Yet she kind of knew her place, and she didn't try to run right. uh, Great Britain, uh, the United Kingdom. She. But she could have. You can picture a guy like, oh, I don't know, Donald Trump with that title. And, you know, other people would go nuts with that power. But she seemed to transition. What do you think? Is she a friend of of democracy or a foe? I think she is a friend in the the UK. And and here's why. Um, She had, if you listen to a lot of her speeches over time, she had first and foremost tremendous respect for the Constitution, which had which set out, 
you know, which sets out a certain provisions for her and then has a certain set of provisions for parliament and the prime minister. And she was at many moments in time, they, uh, whether it was prime ministers that weren't getting everything done and the public was unhappy, she still said always, the vo- it's the voters that, that right. decide. And so I feel like she provided a stability uh, to, to their system and was very respectful to, to constituents and voters um, in the UK to choose their elected leaders that would make political decisions. And she largely tried to stay out of that and instead be more of a stable force uh, that supported the Constitution. Now I'm quite a bit older than you. And you have a bright future. My goodness, where you will be in five or ten years, that will be amazing. After your kids are grown and all of that, or maybe even before, that doesn't stop a lot of people. But in my lifetime, your lifetime, we've never had a king of England. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about King Charles? I, I don't know. I You know, because one of the other things is, uh, you know, um, I was a huge admirer of Princess Diana, um, and I'm. It's interesting because William and Kate are uh, in my kind of generation, and so um, I. I don't. I'm not really sure. I have an opinion yet. I mean, I think we have to see how he goes about things. What about the Queen Consort, Camilla? Same thing. I mean, I don't really because have an opinion. Because of the Diana thing, though, it's complicated. Well, it is complicated, right? And mm-hmm. I think we'll have to see how things go. Um, we don't know a lot about them. What about Tony Blair? Good guy, bad guy? He's a, he was a great guy uh, and tremendously respected here in the United States, uh, for sure. And I actually got to meet him, but I also he came and spoke at, at my school when I was in graduate school, uh, as did Kofi Annan, as did Bill Clinton. Uh, so we had a number of different yeah, world London leaders. Yeah, London School of Economics. I mean, that's first class. Yeah, it's, it was an incredible uh, place to be, and uh, I had so many opportunities to hear from lots of people. And yeah, I, I Prime Minister Blair um, was, you know, I, I think again one of those uh, transitional and transformational type leaders, and he kind of transcended a different uh, way of doing things um, in the UK. And uh, and he was always very, he had a very uh, strong kindness about him and everything he did. I think I'm seeing that in you as well. And before we leave uh, overseas, the situation in Ukraine, that's touched your heart as well, right? It, it has, and I've been uh, paying very close attention to that. And in particular, um, I actually um, have been communicating with the CEO of Ukrainian Post, uh, and so the Ukrainian Postal Service, they have, are providing a tremendous uh, support to communities across the Ukraine, and they uh, they do, you know deliver pension checks and a lot of the benefits and things like that go out. And they've had to adjust because people are so mobile, and so they've had to create all these ways to get packages and supplies and checks and financial support and all of that to their constituents. So they've, they're providing a, a critical role in a crisis. And frankly, postal services around the entire world, including ours, and we just you know we just did a massive test kit program last year, or earlier this year, uh, delivered 500 million test kits to the American people. Um, So the Postal Service in, you know, not only in the United States, but around the world, uh, is often a critical, a critical service during a time of crisis. uh, I think I've got you pretty well qualified as an expert on democracy. Sure, thank you. But isn't this just 
democracy versus anti-democracy, Ukraine versus Russia. Isn't that a reason why America and the free world, the democracy part of the world needs to get behind them? Yes, it is. And I think it's also um, President Zelensky, again, you know, he's of, of my generation. I think I think we're about the same age. Um, and so, you know, I think that we're also seeing an emergence of new leaders. And I think he's a great example of strength and courage and kindness and uh, an approach to, um, you know, really working day and night to try to support his people uh, against a very um, aggressive foe uh, who, like you said, does not respect democracy. And one of the things that I have been tremendously impressed with President Zelensky on, and this has never happened before in, in, in these conflicts that we've seen worldwide, is his transparency. We've never seen a world leader tweet the summary of every conversation mm -hmm. he has with other world leaders. And even our intelligence agencies provided far more transparent intelligence to the public ahead of the conflict starting, and that we had never really seen that before. And so I think this, the, the way they have approached transparency caught their foe off guard. They didn't expect that because they've never experienced that. And so I think it's a good example of how transparency can push back on those people that don't support democracy, don't want to see democracy succeed, or want to attack or destroy it. Gosh, I like Zelensky, and I don't like people who put him down. Yeah. He's a tough guy, and he happens to be my ethnicity. He's an Ashkenazi Jew. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're more known for maybe being lawyers. Did you know Zelensky is a lawyer? I, d I did. I saw that. In his and we're kind of known for being a comedian. I don't know, Seinfeld, Woody Allen. Yep. Uh, and uh, he's a comedian, too. He is, yeah. Right. And uh, yet this guy, his courage, and he's a family guy, just like you. I bet his kids are about your kids' age. They are. I mean, that's that's where I I think they're, when you when you see someone that is – like you, and has a lot of the same personal circumstances, raising children, my, my kids are 9 and 11, and raising children in this world and in this moment, uh, and then you have leaders that reflect that, uh, it's very um, inspiring. Right, and, and, and I, I had no idea that you are an Ashkenazi Jew, too. No. With <laughs> Reynolds, that's really something. Yeah, it is something. That's it's your original name, too. Yeah, it's my maiden name. It, well, what synagogue did you go to? No, right. I'm just kidding. What is McReynolds? McReynolds, so I'm mostly Irish, and then I have a little bit of Scotch and a little bit of German uh, on, on my mother's side. You know who else is mostly Irish? Who? Well, my wife, for one, but and a little German, but... Joe Biden. Yep. Is that how you got the job? Is that Irish I don't think thing? I don't think so. I you know I've never met President Biden. I've I've actually never met him. How do you think he's doing? Do you think he's a hero of democracy? I do for the way he's back Ukraine. If nothing else, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I think Ukraine, and then I think that uh, you know coming in um, to office after a pandemic. And then after um, what we saw in the aftermath of the 2020 election, which was, a, it it's, cannot be described any other way than a direct attack on our democracy and our institutions of elections. And uh, so I think coming in as a leader in that, it is, you know, to try to unify, um, but 
but also dealing with conspiracies and lies and and the direct attacks, like it's very difficult. And so, you know, he's he's had to navigate a number of very difficult issues. And um, and you know, it seems to me that he's uh, doing the best that he possibly can in this moment with a number of challenges, like Ukraine, and you know, we have a number of of right. issues and, 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 and the pandemic and the aftermath. Like being almost eighty years old, that's. He, that's tough on him, but I think he's trying, and I think he has good instincts. But let's go back to presidential politics, because you got involved. Let's bring you home from London, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where did you end up? Well, I worked um, for the first uh, about year and a half, two years. I worked uh, on a project with the Judicial Circuit in the Quad City area to improve how the courts were handling child abuse, elder abuse, and domestic violence cases. And so the whole idea was we, we were going to bring together law enforcement and um, community support providers and all the different you know, folks that had touch points in the process and try to streamline and create a better experience for not only the victims and the children, but also all of those folks that were involved in that. And um, so it was a it was a real honor, and it was fun to work on a project that really was focused but how on bringing you people together. But how keep a girl down on the farm when she's seen the big city? Well, that. But I think I think. But more importantly, while you know, I, wor- I worked on this very difficult issue, and and I'm glad I had that experience. Voting and and democracy was kind of always my passion around what I wanted to do, and so I ended up in working for a project in Iowa during the 2004 presidential cycle. Take us back to that time. Who was running? George W. Bush was running for re-election. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I got to be in Iowa working with colleges and universities. To, Against John Kerry? Uh, yep, that's right. Uh, so saw the whole caucus thing in person right. and process. And, but more importantly, that job exposed me to the necessary improvements that were that we needed to do to modernize voting to modernize voter registration and kind of it was a very antiquated process and as i was educating students and universities and colleges and working with them it was it was a very inefficient uh process and it didn't make sense um and so that was really where i got kind of the um I, the ideas started flowing about, well, how could we do this better? How could this work better? And through that work, I actually ended up uh, in a few meetings in Denver, training sessions and meetings for the project. Right and, there, I wish we were on TV. Because one, you look great. You have the oh. purple and all that. But you get a <laughs> smile when you talk about Denver. Yes. And we've talked about this in our pre-interview. Yes. I've lived here my whole life, fourth generation. I take it for granted. But... Federico Pena came on my show the first time he saw Denver. But you, what was it like? What got to you? I landed um, at the airport, and then uh, at the time, I guess it was taxi cabs, or maybe, I can't remember, they might have sent people to pick us up. But I remember coming around the corner, and the mountains were there. And it was a sunny, beautiful day, blue skies, and it it took my breath away, honestly. And then I stayed near downtown, and I I walked probably ten miles for hours after we had our meeting, um, just in awe of the air and the environment and the and the mountains. And I could not take my eyes off of looking west. And 
Um, I had never felt that way landing in any other city that I had been to at that point. Um, London definitely took my breath away, for sure. But in the United States, I had never just felt the way I did. And I thought, wow, you know, I've been trying to figure out, am I going to move to Chicago for work? Am I going to go try to go to DC? What am I going to do? And immediately, um, I just fell in love with this, with this city and this state and, um, and started looking for, <laughs> for jobs and applied for one, one job and uh, interviewed for it in 2005 and got it. Who gave you a job? So I, I applied at the Denver Election Commission. It was, it was the Denver Election Commission at the time. After that, became the clerk and recorder's office and then the Denver Elections Division, um, but applied to be an operational coordinator. And went in, and my first job there, once they hired me, was I actually coordinated the mail ballot and the military and overseas voting program. Nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long did you stay? I was there 13 years, and I started as an operational coordinator, uh, was promoted to be a manager and managed a team, including the voter registration side of things, um, became deputy director after that in uh, late 2007, was deputy director during the 2008 presidential election, um, and then in 2011, I was appointed to be director. Yes, you were. And those were eventful times because Denver had a history of some screw-ups in elections. That's like right. when I ran against Bill Ritter in 1996, I think I won, but I let it go because yeah. that's the kind of guy I am. No, not really. <laughs> yeah. I, it wasn't like that, but there was an election well after yeah. uh, I lost as an unaffiliated candidate. Uh, and Results were screwed up. What happened? Tell us about well, that. Well, when I got there, so I started in the fall of 2005, and it was the, I, I'd say that first year and a half I was there was um, still one of the most difficult experiences I have had in work, in a work environment. And I walked into, you know, I, was, I think I was definitely the youngest or one of, one of maybe two people that were you know, I was in my 20s, I was early 20s. I had my master's degree, had experience, but was, you know, was was young comparatively. And I walked into a group of people that, you know, they sort of were focused on just doing things the way they had always done them. They'd done it for years. And so they're just going to keep doing it that way. Was it career service? Yeah, there were some, there were still some because it was the commission. That's that like the Denver Civil Service. There right? was there was the commission, but there was still there were a lot of people that you know came in with different ways. Right. So they had just become became part of career service, and the process that goes through that. Um, but what I was struck by was a lack of attention to improving voter service and customer service, and it was just everyone was doing things the way they had always done them, and no one was interested in doing anything new. And Denver did have a um, problem in 2006. They tried to, and this was a different area. I was I was responsible for military and overseas voters and mail ballots, and frankly was told by my boss and a few other people that, you know, were there. You know, when we when those of us that kind of asked questions about uh, what they were planning to do, a lot of times we got told it's not our place. We you know, be quiet. You know, that's not your area. Don't worry about it. Well, they messed up. They had some technology failures that created really long lines. And my team was on the end of receiving those calls and those complaints from voters um, about the failures in the field. And so that actually, that, you know, that experience also for me 
I will never forget it. And it's one of the reasons I've worked tirelessly since that day to make sure that never happens again. And I know the markings of, a, of what a bad election could look like. I know now what you don't want to do. And so that watching the failure of some of the leadership that was in the Denver Election Commission at the time during the 2006 um, election, three, four-hour lines were at voting centers Horrible. across Denver. It was awful. A lot of people lost out voting. And being a staffer there that had been sidelined and told, this isn't your thing. You don't have any good ideas. You should sit over here. Um, and then being able to work after that, uh, the voters vote chose to have an elected clerk and recorder. The first person was Stephanie O'Malley. She sat down with me. She's the one who promoted me to be deputy director. And she said, look, do you want to help me fix this? And I said, absolutely, I do. And and I, had, I actually had kept a journal of all my notes for the like prior year and a half of all the issues. And I said, yes, and I have a whole book of notes on ideas on how we can fix it. And and I jumped in, and there was a number of people hired, and I hired a number of people that are still on the team today. Um, and we changed that organization, and we made it awesome, and we made it one of the best election offices in the country. And uh, and it it took hard work. Like I was, no, I was there. Smarts. It took your smarts, but you know what? With technology sure. and a little. Uh, right attitude and you have the right attitude and yeah. you told me about it which is these elections aren't for politicians mm -hmm. these elections are for the voters they are you they... need to facilitate voting not put barriers in the way right right it's um and and it's a and facilitate informed voting informed voting it's a customer service and and i say this all the time the voting process is really the first interaction that voters have with who will become their elected officials. And if they have a bad experience, it's just like if you have a bad experience at, the, at a restaurant and you wait three hours for your food to come, you're likely not going to go back to that restaurant again. And so this is no different. Uh, any successful businesses cannot get away with bad customer service. And so my whole approach to the changes we made and the energy, I mean, I, I worked 15 plus hour days all through 2008 to implement a new voter registration system, implement a new voting system, make sure the communication stuff was better, make sure we didn't fail again, move a warehouse. Like we moved, we did all kinds of things in 2008. And the, I would not leave the office until everything that needed to be done was done. And that included 15 to even 18 hour days, sometimes longer because you for were about a year. You were offended by those lines. I was extremely offended. And, by those and it's lines. not just the lines because a lot of people like me would say, screw it. I'm not voting. And it, people say, Oh, it's so heroic. The people that stay, but what about no. the people who don't vote or have to get home to take care of their kids or their dogs? You can't have it that way. Out of this calamity came a great thing. Yes. Just tremendous. That's because you got on the job and you worked at it. And God bless you for that. Um, tell everybody how you did it. I don't think you did it alone. You did it with a bunch of other smart women. And we got to the Colorado gold standard. And I'm sitting here across from Amber McReynolds, who's responsible for that. Way to go. Well, it, and I'm, it's not me alone by any means. I mean, I, I, a lot of people um, know that I am driven and I won't stop, you know, until we get 
uh, good things done. Matt Crane, my dear my dear friend Matt Crane, knows that I, I will bug him or anyone about doing good things <laughs> until we get them done. Um, but it, what was amazing, so, you know, we kind of made it through 2008, historic turnout in Colorado. But what we saw, and we saw this then again by 2012, by that point we had made, we had created what was called a permanent absentee voter list. So that just meant that you as a voter could say, I want every mail ballot, I want a ballot to come to me right. every election. When we did that, by 2012, close to 80% of Coloradans had opted in. And they had said, I want my ballot at home. I don't want to wait in line. I want to have this at home. And so I got a call. Um, and Dickie Lee Hollinghorse was the Speaker of the House in Republican. 2000. Democrat. Oh, I'm Dickie sorry. Lee. What am I thinking of? Dickie, Dickie Lee, Lee Hollinghorse. Yeah, good one. She Craig. was from Boulder, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, uh, she from uh, Boulder. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've even, anyway. Yeah, so I got I got and Dan Pabone was one of the legislators in Denver, um, and they wanted to meet about some improvements. And I went to that meeting, and they wanted to vote. They wanted you know there a lot of their ideas were around voter registration, and I said, well, the other piece is we've got more than eighty percent of Colorado asking for a mail ballot every election, and we're spending a boatload of money on polling places and all of this outdated infrastructure right. uh, when most people aren't going there anymore, and. The twenty percent that aren't that have not requested their mail ballot, most of them just called us in the presidential election cycle. And by the way, here's all the call center data. Most of them called saying, "My neighbors and my family and everyone I know got a mail ballot. Why didn't you send me one?" And they had just not signed up. So we then started having a conversation, and they had asked me, you know, who else should be involved. So by that point, Hillary Hall, who was the Boulder County Clerk and Recorder, got she was at the table. Sheila Reiner, who was the Mesa County Clerk and Recorder, Republican. There's a Republican. Mesa County, who that yes. name might ring a bell because yes. she came back to help in Mesa County's recent um, election Peters problems. Debacle. Yes. Um, and and Tiffany Parker in La Plata County, also Republican, now unaffiliated clerk. Pam Anderson from Jeffco, who's running for Secretary of State. So all those women, along with you know various community groups, legislators, we started meeting and and trying to figure out what could something look like. And and there was disagreements for sure. I was pretty fierce with my data and my, you know, and, and what I was focused on is we have all this customer service data from voters and voters are telling us a story. They're telling us what now, they want. At this time, are you clerk and recorder? No, I was director of elections. Director of director elections. Director of elections, right. which is appointed by the clerk. Yes, of course. And so... And we and and but the key was for me, we have a customer service story. We know what voters want because they're telling us what they want through their choices. And so I was really forceful with designing the system that would fit what the voters were asking us for. And everyone else was too. And we we met and we met and we met. And um, this went on for months. And first we were planning to, uh, to drop the bill in March, um, and it got pushed back a little. Well, interestingly enough, I was pregnant with my son at the time, and he was due March 30th. And so it was like early March, and I kept coming to the meetings. March 30th, I think there was another meeting, or the 29th, and everyone was like, you're still here. And I'm like, yeah, we need to get this done. And uh, and Kenton hasn't come yet. Um 
And it was funny because they affectionately started calling my son Baby Bill because we were working on this big bill. And so they all started calling him Baby Bill. They still call him Baby Bill to this day. Um, And so I went home. It was a Friday. We got done with a meeting. And we had a plan to file the bill the next week, first week in April. Well, my daughter had her second birthday party on that Saturday, which I had all planned. And I'm already one day late. Then Easter Sunday comes and goes. And then that Monday morning, um, uh, early in the day, thank goodness my parents were in uh, visiting for Clara's birthday, I went into labor. And the one thing I grabbed in addition to my bag when we left to go to the hospital was the, you know, very large bill that I had printed with all my notes and took it to the hospital and had Kenton. And then a couple hours later, my deputy called. And she said, hey, I just got an email from the sponsors and we wanted to, you know, check on one potential change. And so she tells me and I, you know, flip through my notes and I'm in the hot, like I just had Kenton. Right. And, uh, and we talked about it and then got to the end of the conversation. I said, hey, by the way, I had Kenton a few hours ago. And she goes, why are you answering the phone? Because um, it's just that important to you. It was that important to me. And then, uh, and then of course... The bill got filed a few days later, and then I actually was testifying at the Capitol a week after that uh, in about a 10-hour hearing. That is so sweet. And when you say you had the data, for example, when people are in line and people are behind them, they don't take the time to read the down-ballot stuff so you can see the people stop voting because they're rushed. The anxiety of people. Like, if you know there's a bunch of people waiting for you and you're not sure and you've got this very long ballot— um, the the whole experience of voting in person is is difficult with in, in any situation, but it's particularly difficult with a very long ballot. And you've got the legalese of all the ballot questions. You've got this massive list of judges. Uh, you know, th- this experience for voters is like taking a, a, t- a test with no open book, right? Because you right. can't take much in there. You can't fiddle with your phone. Um, and we also at that time had a limit on being in the voting booth. So we that was one of the things we got rid of. But there used to be a time limit on the amount of minutes you could be in the polling booth. Right. They so, want us to decide these important matters of statewide concern and right. give us the time. How about you mail us the ballot and we can look it up. And thank you, Amber McReynolds. And you know what this leads to? More voting. Am I right? It does. And more educated voters. And when you have time at home to read that massively long ballot. Uh, And my experience voting at home includes my children, and it's included my children since they were very little. And I would not be able to do that in person. Um, And when my ballot comes, one of them is usually saying, Mommy, when are we going to work on your ballot? And I get it out before dinner, after dinner. It takes me three or four days to complete my ballot because they read things to me. And they say, Mom, what does governor do? What does state rep do? What's a school board member? What does this ballot initiative mean? And we have this whole civics education process that we go through every election. And so my kids know what these what these elected See officials do. See that voter fraud right there. You let your kids I, mark your ballot, don't I didn't, you? They're I didn't mark. Come they're, on. They're reading Amber it. McReynolds <laughs> confesses to voter fraud. No, they're reading. They're reading it right, and we're talking about this. But that's the kind of experience that parents should be having, yes. and grandparents should be having with their 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 grandchildren. And this is how we create an informed electorate by encouraging early 
this is a civics lesson. This is such an opportunity. And so um, I would encourage all parents uh, to to approach voting in that way and leverage that vote at home experience. Right, my two children are old enough now. Their ballots come. We all take them out. We discuss it. What about this? What about that? Turn it in. I always use Dropbox. It's perfect. Who could complain about Dropbox? Well, we know we're coming to them. But drop boxes work great, don't they? They do, and they're and they're exceedingly secure. We we you know they have twenty four by seven surveillance in Colorado. Um, we design them to be secure. They they have they're they're fire resistant. I mean, there's a number of different security features. You even most of them have a certain slanted slot, so you wouldn't be able to like douse it with water or throw in a match. And they're designed with security in mind. And we put those specifications in the law. Um, and mainly, you know, our thought was, look, if you, it's great to, you can mail it back. That's also secure. You can go through the postal service, but it actually gets to the county clerk faster if you drop it at a Dropbox because those are emptied multiple times a day by the county clerk. They go directly there. Whereas the postal stream, it might take, there's more steps, right? Um, both are secure, um, but, uh, we wanted a process also to respect the fact that Colorado doesn't accept postmark. You have to have it in by 7 p.m. And so we don't want people dropping them in blue uh, postal boxes right. because it may not make it there uh, sure. in, in a short window. You guys put together a book, When Women Vote. Where can people get the book that you wrote about this process of putting together Colorado's gold standard? Yeah, well, I uh, starting in 2019, I think, or maybe end of 2018, my, my dear friend Stephanie Donner and I um, came up with the idea of writing a book about voting reform. And our goal was to celebrate what had been done historically with women's suffrage, but also identify the things that weren't a success in that, including full equity and full full franchise and full suffrage for all women, um, and tie it to uh, improvements in voting access. And so it's a, it's a short book. We designed it to be that way. We didn't want it to be this massively academic book that nobody would read all the way through. It's got a playbook at the end for recommendations and ideas for how to improve things. Um, it's available on Amazon. Um, and uh, One women vote. Yeah. What is it about you women? This group that put together Colorado's voting, all women? Mostly, yeah. Mostly yeah. women, yeah. right. And Mostly. I mean, and, you know, I think back to we were the first state to pass suffrage on the ballot. The, the legislature rejected it multiple times. And I think about, you know, our semi-open primaries and our independent redistricting. Like, Coloradans have made choices direct through direct democracy because – legislature hasn't acted and and i think there's probably going to be more of that i think women have saved us think if just men were allowed to vote right now oh my god well most most election officials are women more than 80 percent of women uh or of election officials are women and most poll workers most of the people that you see when you go vote in person or if you work in at the election offices most are women nationally You've had this passion for voting forever. Mm -hmm. And we've all kind of taken democracy for granted. I have. And now we're in a crisis. It's unbelievable to me uh, that after you created this gold standard, America's experienced this turmoil. What did you do? I mean, now you have to redouble your efforts. Tell everybody what you've done uh, since your time working for the government. When did you leave working for Denver? Well, I uh, in in the f- 
around the summer, well, really before that, but I had started contemplating, um, as I think most people do, you know, reevaluating how can I be the most helpful. And I've always, my, my, my approach to all of this is where can I have the most impact? And I've had a number of people encourage me to run for office. Um, and that, that is something that, you know, certainly rattles around in my head at different moments. But I've also know that I've not been elected yet. And I've had a tremendous positive impact on the voting process and policy changes and improving elections. And so I also know you don't have to have, uh, you don't have to be an elected official to have a big impact. So for me, it's always how can I best contribute and have a positive impact to my communities and my, my state and nationwide. And uh, I left Denver elections in the fall of 2018 to head up the National Vote at Home Institute, which was a nonpartisan nonprofit um, focused on improving vote by mail systems nationally. And part of the reason that I did that too is for the two or three or four years prior to that, I was getting a number of requests to come speak at conferences in front of election officials or national conferences to explain how we did this in Colorado. And I had a number of academics come and say, tell, explain the secret sauce. Like, how did you make all this work? How did you, you know, drive a data-driven approach and save money and improve turnout and increase turnout? Because we actually saved money as well. That a lot, that doesn't get noticed a lot in this while we served more people, while we increased turnout. And so I left to go head up this nonpartisan nonprofit and a year and a half in a pandemic hit. And we had a number of states that were not, you know, Colorado was very resilient, had a very resilient voting model in a pandemic right. ready, right? A lot of Western states had that same kind of mm-hmm. approach, but there were a lot of states that weren't ready for a, a, a large majority of mail ballots. And so we did a lot of work to help build that up and, and help uh, what about people say they screwed it up because they were not ready? That's why the votes. Well, that's all just not crooked. true. No, okay. it's not true. I mean, and and the fact is, every state had a version of mail ballots before 2020. In mm-hmm. fact, every state has had a version of mail balloting or absentee voting going back to the Civil War since the founding of our right. of our country. We have had mail, and that in that again, Abraham Lincoln wanted to make sure soldiers could vote. And so they created a process for soldiers to vote through the post. And we, so we, we have to get to the post we, office. Every for sure. state in the country yes. has had mail ballots in one form or another for since the beginning. And for anyone to say this was somehow new, brand new, is they're not being honest and they're not being intellectually honest with the facts. Um, now, you know. Were they going to see more? Were they going to go from 10% mail ballots to 30%? Sure. And so what we try to do is, you know, here's best practices. Here's how you design the envelopes and the instructions. And here's drop boxes. And here's the best practices for security around Here that. are the barcodes. Here's how we Ballot know. tracking, yes. which started in Denver, Colorado, by the way, in right. 2010. Um, Track your ballot from when it's sent out to you and from when you send it back right. to when it's received. It's... It's technology. It's like credit cards, right? We trust yeah. them. Well, yeah, and ballot tracking started in Denver. It was one of our innovations that we were the first ever to create. First ever election office, but first ever technology created to do that. And now more than 100 million voters nationwide have access to that technology. 
Um, and, and that's growing. And that was created here in Denver, Colorado. I was deputy director at the time. We rolled it out in a bigger way when I was director. Um, and now multiple states, including the state of Georgia, California, a number of states, Virginia, all offer that as a full service. And so more than 100 million people now have access to that. And that was one of the big pieces that we helped states implement in 2020 so that security was good, transparency was good, accountability was good. Um, so this, these can, you know, when the when the sort of misinformation started around mail ballots, um, driven by um, the pre- the former president, uh, by the way, someone who has voted by mail most of his right. voting history, and if you look at the Senate, which we we also looked at this, most of the politicians uh, that are in D.C. a lot vote by mail. Right. So if you look at their voting history, we've got a number of people that were throwing. And saying yeah, bad things about a process. Consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Those and, guys are a lot smarter than you. I think I figured out something. That's why I like to do media, because you get me thinking about things. And I'm thinking that with your innovations, you've allowed more people to vote. Mm-hmm. And there are certain people and certain parties who realize the more people vote, the more they're going to lose. They can't have people vote. So they get upset about that. They want fewer people to vote because they see what's coming. Their policies are not popular. They're the minority thing. You said you're unaffiliated. Plus, I think you left the door open to running for office. Now, that's tough as unaffiliated, but you are not unopinionated. You're passionate about democracy. And to me, there's one party attacking democracy right now and one party defending it. Am I saying it right? Yeah, and I think I mean there are a number of Republicans, including my friend, my friend Adam Kinzinger, um, and 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 if, and others that have defended it. And you know, another person I think of often is the Secretary of State of Georgia, uh, Secretary Raffensperger. Um, he's taken very personal attacks um, because he defended the system right. and the process and election officials, and he's a Republican. So I, I avoid all saying all. I think the extreme factions that have bought into conspiracies and lies and are frankly, and frankly making money off of conspiracies and lies, I mean, this is a grift. I mean, there's no other and, description and, and of it. you are uniquely qualified to talk, and I want to get to the grift, but you know about Dominion because I'm a Denver guy, and I'm proud right now because you're telling me, Craig, your hometown, that's the birthplace of modern democracy and male voting innovations that made things better, thanks to Director of Elections Amber McReynolds, who participated and helped form this. That's a great Denver factoid. Another Denver factoid when it comes to voting is Dominion Voting Systems was in the old spaghetti factory. What's that, on 18th? And and they're a Canadian company, but their American headquarters were in Denver, and I bet you interacted with them a lot. Yeah, well, and they're actually a U.S. company. So their international, oh, they their international office is in, uh, is in Toronto, um, but they're a U.S. company, and they're the only voting system provider that's based in Colorado. So the other two major providers, one is in Texas, one's in Nebraska. We don't um, want to give business and, to those guys. And then there's another, you know, there's a couple smaller outfits uh, that are in, one's in Boston, and I'm, I'm forgetting where the, one of the other ones is. So, um, but this is the, you know, major, uh, well, small company in the grand scheme of technology. Well, tell us the history, because you've been in the game. When did you first become aware of Dominion Voting Systems? Well, so they were, um, so... 
Denver had Sequoia. That was an old an old provider, um, and that was uh, you know we started transitioning away from that when I got in. But Sequoia was the first provider. Or Are they gone now? Yeah, they're no longer there. Oh, but no. so here's I thought Sequoia's never died. <laughs> so Dominion actually was started by um, two engineers that uh, saw a need to better perfect paper ballot design layout tabulation and create a more transparent process. So their focus was honestly on an accessible process, but a paper ballot record to make it more secure. They're like you. Yes. We like voting. We're democracy. How can we make it better and more efficient and completely trustworthy? Yes. And they, uh, they saw a need, and I think it was New York that maybe had put out an RFP at the time that was looking for a provider with a paper ballot trail. And one of the things that that a lot of people forget is Florida 2000 happened and Congress passed Help America Vote Act. George W. Bush signed it, dumped a bunch of money towards technology and to get rid of punch cards. But the hanging chats. But, does that exist anywhere in America? No, anymore? no, it doesn't. But here's what happened. It was too fast. So so Congress kind of threw this money out and said Build systems that are not hanging Chad systems. Well, the problem is they were built very fast. So Sequoia was one of those providers. ESNS is one of those. And they built a lot of systems that didn't have a paper audit trail. And now, because security changed over time, it was recognized amongst experts and amongst election officials, we need a paper audit trail. And then we couple that with Colorado moving towards hand-marked paper ballots with absentee ballots. We immediately, and this was early in my tenure, I started looking for the best providers that had the best technology for laying out and designing the ballot, the best accessibility, the best transparency and security for how we would count, meaning scan. And we at the time had Sequoia. Uh, Dominion had was a newer company that came about um, and I started talking to them about the next generation of technology and partly, and, and so then simultaneous to that Sequoia and Diebold and a few other older companies went away, Dominion bought contracts from Sequoia and from other entities. So they basically purchased Now let me back some of those up agreements. a little bit because we talked about 2004, John Kerry. Wasn't there a controversy in Ohio? Yes. And it even involved that Kenneth Blackwell, yes. who's still a scummy guy in my opinion. What was going on there? And is this designed to address that as well? It, it did. So What happened of, in Ohio? Uh, well, there was a number of different controversies. But what I would also point out about that situation, because it relates to a few other uh, policy questions I keep bringing up. He was co-chair of the Bush re-election campaign. Blackwell. While being Secretary of State, yes. while overseeing the election process. Same with Catherine Harris in Florida in 2000. Same with, we look if we look over the history, a number of Secretaries of State have simultaneously co-chaired a re-election campaign for president or other while running the process. And that's right. happened on both sides of the aisle, by the way. And in that Florida and, situation, not only was she intimately involved with the Bush campaign, the governor of Florida was his brother. Right. So there's been these examples over time. And like, I think about Chris Kobach. He was Secretary of State of Kansas, running for higher office while being Secretary. Brian right. Kemp in Georgia was as well. We've got a couple of examples of that right now on on um, on the Dem side of the aisle. So I also bring that up just because I think we need to create more guardrails to 
prevent that because that's that's unique in modern democracies. Most other modern democracies in the world would never allow the chief election official to have ties to a partisan campaign for election and and the ethics of that. So I think there's work we need to right. do here as a as a um, as a country on creating guardrails because right now. Most people do do the right thing. Most election officials are awesome and they are defending democracy and they are what have you. But you don't want to open the door for a bad actor to win one of these elections and get in and do the bad thing or do the wrong thing and and um and be an insider threat which we've got an example of here and as dominion they're crooked right no they're an insider threat they are designed by the democrats they have no ties uh to how do you know how do you know well i explored this right so when we were going out for bid and looking for a provider that would be a partner to us in our next generation of technology we examined all this we examined you know do they make any donations to political candidates what are the financial records like we explored all of this and so i know because i've looked into these things but i also know how these systems work they don't have anything what we it's it's kind of i equate it to when you think about Microsoft software that you use on your computer, I just switched Apple. Although this is Microsoft, okay. Like right so, now, when I'm recording this podcast, I have one recording device and I have a backup. Right. Well, so but you so you use a piece of technology, and you're the user, right? And you're the one programming or adding in or you know, and that's similar with you know these guys are providing software and platforms and then they they hand it off to the election officials they're the ones that run the process and there's full transparency around that and colorado is very good about this we have a number of laws on the books that ensure transparency ensure public accountability um and that's why we don't have um you know these these sort of allegations and all these conspiracies that are like no, there's no evidence of it because but we we've have got protections for it. We do we have, have the allegations. allegations. We have yes. the allegations, but and, the and facts don't match. Do you know? I mean, you brought it up, so I have to follow up. Jenna Griswold, Secretary of State. I like her. She's been a guest on my show. I've had Pam Anderson on my show. Are you saying? You want somebody competent, and I assume both of these women are competent at their job. And then is it important for them to be nonpartisan? Yeah, I do. I think that when it comes to running elections, and, and most chief election officials, whether it's secretaries or certainly at the local level, they approach their jobs in nonpartisan ways. Right. They, they do. And, be, and part of that is personal integrity to commit to that, right? What I'm concerned about now is we see a number of people – in, uh, and we had one in the primary here, few in the primary here, but uh, we see a number of um, Secretary of State candidates in various states that are full conspiracy theorists, oh, yeah. election uh, but, deniers. But we have to get rid of them. And, but, but back to uh, Jenna, the, if I could. She has strong opinion about being pro-choice. So do I. Yeah. Okay, so should she have to be quiet about that? or No, I th- my opinion is if it impacts... The election and the ballot, right? Which, mm-hmm. if the candidates are on there, you know, in terms of personal views and politics, like that's all a different thing. Well, all I'm saying is that we need to make sure we've got the proper guardrails because, for the most part, they're all doing what they should be doing, and they all have integrity, and they all do and approach the job should in a non-partisan they be way. 
Well, I mean, isn't that think, isn't that questionable that they have to supervise their own election? Yeah. Right? So, so there was actually a report done by Ethics Watch in Colorado uh, years ago when Scott Gessler was Secretary of State, yes. who ran for governor while he was Secretary of State, if you remember. I don't. Oversaw his own primary. Yes. Um, he w- during his tenure because he was highly partisan. He sued us in Denver. We won every time. Sad for him, but we won. He still hasn't beat beat Denver in court. At least in my, he's a lawyer and um, he wins, he loses. But you know, during his tenure, there was actually a report written with different options, different structures, different governance structures for Mm -hmm. what Secretary of State could be. And not every state elects Secretary of State. Some are appointed, some are commissioned. So North Carolina, it's a state board of elections. There's no Secretary of State that is involved in running elections. And in Pennsylvania, if Maz Triano wins, he gets to appoint? He gets to appoint. And then there's a a legislative approval process. So there's multiple different structures, right? So I think that that conversation should continue, right, of what, what is the best and what works the best so that voters have accountability over who's running their elections, and that there's a good, accountable, transparent process. Right. And that, that conversation will continue. It's like we should get continue. the best referees for football games, and then we're going to have replay as well. Yes. We're going to make yep. sure that it's good. Yep, that's right. Okay, so now things are really kind of screwed up in America when it comes to voting. You're trying to unscrew them up. A lot of allegations being thrown around. And just back to my point, I think you got a lot of white men who are upset that they're losing power in America, the more women vote, the more people who aren't white vote, people who are not Christian vote, they're losing their power. And as they see it slipping away, they have to say, we've got to stop the voting or call the voting illegitimate. We have Trump going out there at rallies praising these dictators. They're smart. Look how tough they are. They rule their huge countries. You don't think they're smart? No, I think they're autocrats. I think they're uh, kleptomaniacs like uh, Donald Trump. And here's what I loved about talking to you is that you're willing to go there. But before we go there, I want to talk about the post office because you are governor of the post office. And uh, how cool is that? Tell everybody about the rich tradition. All I know is Benjamin Franklin started it, right? First Mm -hmm. postmaster. Right there at Trump International, soon to get another name, mm-hmm. there's a statue of Ben Franklin. You've taken your kids there, right? Mm-hmm. I took my 15-year-old. I got to broadcast at the White House. I took my 15-year-old to me, his first trip to Washington, and then we drove up to New York, and we saw Hamilton, then we came back through Philadelphia, and I broadcast from the White House. But our first night, we ran in a car, went to Ebbets Field, the great restaurant across from the White House. Then I walked him up to the Trump uh, International Intersection, to look at the statue of Ben Franklin. It was about midnight now, and we're going to drive to Delaware after that. But a lady rolled down her window, a black lady. I I just bring it up because she she yelled, fuck Trump, to us. And it's like, it was a little startling. Fuck Donald Trump. And I looked back at her and I said, hey, this is Ben Franklin right here. And she yelled back, sorry, I like Ben Frank. <laughs> that was my son's introduction. Sorry to use the harsh language, but it's podcast in my yeah. own. So I just will always remember that Ben Franklin sequence. And you being a governor of the post office, 
One, I think Ben Franklin would have laughed at that, but what a great start to American post office to have Benjamin Franklin involved. Do you take pride in that? I do, and and 1775 when he was when he was the first postmaster general. Yes, before the America was formed. And we also have uh, there were two other presidents that worked Hell. for the postal service. So May seventh, eighteen thirty three. Uh, 24-year-old Abraham Lincoln was appointed to be the Salem, Illinois postmaster. There you go. He made about $50 in the year being the postmaster, 24 years old. Um, And there were two presidents, so Lincoln is one, and then Truman also worked for the Postal Service. Um, And we have, uh, I mean, the history is incredible. And I and I will tell you and for your listeners, there's actually if you go to usps.com forward slash facts, it has a lot of this cool stuff, which and it, and it is pages and pages of like, really cool tidbits. But, you know, one of the other ones you brought up women, the first female postmaster, and by the way, 52% of all local postmasters in the country right now are women. And it's one of the most diverse workforces, uh, and probably the most diverse. That's right. Women but, dominating in a male profession. Well, and so the first That's a pun, by the way. The first female it is a pun. The first female postmaster was Mary Catherine Goddard in seventeen seventy five in Maryland. Well, I would have She was that a postmaster. One. So women were postmasters for more than a century before they could vote. They were literally running the postal offices and communities. Um and a couple other famous people, because I think this is always fascinating. Walt Disney was a postal employee. Rock Hudson was a postal employee. Bing Crosby. Conrad Hilton was a post a postal employee. Charles Lindbergh. Um, so we have a number of um, just incredible people. You know, the next the next big tech giant might be a postmaster or a mail delivery person right now, right? So we have this incredible history and organization. Um, And then let me just give you a few numbers on the impact. So we deliver 425 million pieces of mail a day. And probably more since FedEx is collapsing, even as we speak. I saw that yesterday. And then we deliver 25 million packages daily. Our biggest uh, contractor in terms of revenue is Amazon. Amazon pays us to do the last mile delivery for most of their stuff. So when you get an Amazon package could have likely been delivered by a, a United States postal employee, just like UPS, just like FedEx. How they all you, pay us to deliver How many stuff. of you postal governors are there? There's nine appointed by the president, and then there's two ex officio with the postmaster general and the deputy, so we have a total of 11. And I'm the only unaffiliated, so um, and I'm the only woman right now. You know, you had me at Lincoln, but you lost me with Lindbergh. Because I didn't care for Lindbergh okay. and his <laughs> America First policies and uh, his uh, friendship with Hitler. Yeah, I just give the, you know. No, I, I know. Give, I, you're not vouching for Lucky. I maybe. like to give just the, the sort of name. And there's a whole list of people. Those were just a few um, of of different you know, folks that have that have worked in for the postal service. What so. about Hitler and democracy? Hitler and the post office. Hitler and voting. I bet you know a little about that too. Well, so one, so I actually just took my children to the spy museum in Washington D.C., which I love. And if you haven't taken your family or kids or even visited there, you should definitely go. Um, and they have a whole display about Hitler's use of propaganda. Um, and I was struck. Uh, 
by the comparisons to today in terms of, you know, using conspiracies, using fear, misguiding and misleading people with information um, in a way that was designed to attack and destroy. And a lot of similarities when you sort of look at this display and all these examples of what we have seen in terms of the attack on our democracy. And, you know, we have an incredible group of people that run elections. The election officials around this country, many of my dear friends, are the guardians of our democracy, and they work daily in and out to do everything they can to protect it. There's been a few examples of bad actors, so we have to make sure we have ways to address that, which, you know, we've got a great DA in Colorado and a great law enforcement structure that is dealing with our issue very directly. Um, but, you know... You mean DA or AG? Both. The DA, DA in Mesa. Oh, and Dan Rubenstein. Dan, yeah. And, okay. And the so AG. we're going to get to Tina Peters, so, absolutely. But the point is, like, you know, when you look back at Hitler and his use of propaganda and misinformation and, and deflection and um, the attack on certain people... And certain people he saw as a threat. There's so many similarities to how we're seeing this play out. Right, but that's why I'm scared. That's year. why I turned to you as an expert on democracy, because Hitler rose to power through a Western Christian democratic country. And we have to think about that. How did he do that? How, in your opinion, did the voting work back then? Well, I think, I mean, similarly, the, the, you know, people that are using conspiracies to create fear amongst the electorate in this country, they are uh, deliberately attacking the very foundation of, 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 of our country in, in that we chose to have a representative democracy and and there are many people around the world, mostly dictators and autocrats and things like that, that they don't want to see democracy right. succeed. And so it is a coordinated attack worldwide. Um, and there's a few leaders of it. And uh, and frankly, you know, before 2016 even, we saw a number of foreign bad actors trying to interfere, trying to, uh, you know, they've always been trying different tactics to diminish democracy, diminish our form of government. And now what is incredible to me, and it's why I feel so strongly that the behavior of some of the folks within the United States is completely un-American, is that now a lot of those foreign actors, including Putin and others that don't like democracy and don't want to see it succeed, they don't, they're, they're watching from afar and thinking they're, they're We've got a, a universe of people attacking it within. We can sit back and let them do it. We right, don't but have to they, do it. they put that in motion, and we can debate that. But the bottom line is I see mobsterism ruling in Russia, China. It's the rule of the strong man, and some people want that here, and I don't. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem is the violence. You cannot mix violence with politics. Joe Biden has spoken out about this, and Joe Biden has called them the fascists that they are. And what they're doing has translated into something brand new, and it's got to get you worked up, Amber McReynolds, which is there are threats 
on people trying to run fair elections, including you. Yeah. And it's that's incompatible with democracy. Well, it is. And it's and and here's the other, you know, to me, you're either for democracy or you're not. There's not like this in between. Right. And what, you know, in the January 6th hearings, I think have done an excellent job of laying that very stark difference out. Um, and and democracy takes effort. It takes effort to engage citizens. It takes effort to actually collect people's ideas. There might be different ideas about different solutions. And that's fine. That actually makes us stronger if we collaborate and bring different ideas together. But to attack the very foundation of our our country and our freedom and all of that is completely un-American. And I'm I it it is it is um it is uh, beyond disappointing. Um, it it saddens me. It upsets me. I mean, there's a whole flow of emotions that I get when I hear current elected officials casting doubt, current senators, current congressional members um, that continue to buy into this lie and these conspiracies driven by someone who refuses to accept the outcome of an election. He got less votes. This is taking a hold. Less votes. Trump, yes. Seven million less votes. He lost. That's it. In fact, there's more people that did not vote than voted for him, which, you know, what's amazing to me is you hear all the time, you, you sort of hear one of two terms usually with regards to voting voter fraud or voter suppression. Those are kind of the two big things that get talked about. And, and the, the one thing that nobody ever talks about is the fact that in a tw- in our 2020 election, the most highly anticipated presidential election of our lifetime, 66% was the nationwide turnout, which means one in three voters that were eligible did not vote, which means 80 million eligible people. These are eligible people. Citizens, 18 years of age, did not participate. A good number are unaffiliated because they don't get asked to vote because they're not affiliated with the party. Um a good number didn't want to wait in line, couldn't get off work, missed a deadline, didn't qualify for an absentee ballot, whatever the reason is. So I am always shocked when instead of talking about that 80 million that didn't participate and why and figuring that out, we've got kind of these other issues that, that get talked about with regards to voter fraud that doesn't exist. 66% nationally, what was it in Colorado? About 80. That's because we make voting easier. That's right. And if there is voter fraud, it's detected. It's detected and it's taken care of. And we've had a number of prosecutions here. Barry Morphew maybe killed his wife, maybe didn't. But Suzanne Morphew went missing on that Mother's Day before the election. He voted her ballot for Trump, said he knew what she would do, which... Yep, and Chafee County caught it. The election officials saw the signature was not reflective of hers, and they caught it. And we we have... Multiple examples of that where election officials do their jobs under the law, catch bad actors, because they're bad actors that are trying to um, infiltrate the system. Another prosecution in Weld County in, in 2016. And, and, yeah, my and old friend been, Steve, Curtis, Steve Curtis, who is a Republican chairman up there. Steve Curtis, who was the victim of a horrible crime in Denver, got shot in the head. His roommate murdered because he was a witness to an armed robbery. And Steve Curtis got passionate about the death penalty. I met him. 
He sold life insurance. He went on to do talk radio. He married uh, a woman who was connected to some prominent Republicans, became a prominent Republican himself. I know Steve Curtis, and he voted, what was it, his separated wife's ballot, and um, she had moved out. I yeah, think. she had moved, and, and he got caught, and he got punished, so fraud gets detected. And I just think that the people who are complaining about it, they don't like the fact that 80% vote in Colorado, which means that they're not going to win because their positions aren't popular, so they have to make excuses. And the other thing that happens in these rural counties where they keep the Trump signs up year-round and they get fed garbage by the media, they only know people who voted for Trump, so they can't conceive of how he lost, so they're susceptible to this kind of brainwashing. It's incumbent upon Republican leaders to say, no, no, this was a fair election. We got to try harder. We got to do better. But they don't have that kind of leadership, starting with the top guy. And when we talked about this, the top guy in the Republican Party is Donald Trump. And I brought up Tina Peters to you and all of that in our pre-show talk. And you said, it, it's Trump. And it is. And, and let's just start at the top. This guy, I, I'm glad that Joe Biden is calling him out by name, putting the fascism tag on him. And I hope that all hell comes down on him because he had a multi-pronged attack against democracy. And a big part of it was your bailiwick, voting. Another part is he's ruining the rule of law where I work. This guy is destructive. Talk about Donald Trump and your view of him as an expert on democracy and voting. Well, and let me say this. So my first interaction with him was actually in uh, the fall of 2016. He was giving a speech in Golden, Colorado, and he actually threw out the term voter fraud and said, there's going to be fraud. They're going to try to steal the election from me and, and went on to say a bunch of lies about Colorado. Well, what clearly he didn't articulate and what I actually tweeted um, is I said, oh, so you're actually incorrect. And by the way, we also sent you an invitation to come tour the office in Denver because I was letting all the candidates, campaigns, we invited everyone, we, as we always do. We invite the press. I've had a number of elected officials in Colorado come through and get a tour. I've explained the process to them. We had invited them a few times. He then went on to lie. So I, again, I said, look, the invitation still stands. We are happy to walk you through the process and explain this to you. Um, well, then 2016 happened, and he won, and all of that stopped. Now, stop the Stop the Steal website was purchased in 2016. By Rogers. Before, a dirty before the course. election. Yes. So this narrative started around then, and when I called him out and said, you know, you're not being truthful about the process here, you're more than welcome to come in and get a tour, that was my first death threat that came in through email, and I, it was a, a someone sent me a picture of a – gun range and said that they, they'd see me out there soon. So that was in 2016, the fall. Uh, fast forward, you know, all the conversations about his voter fraud stuff and all that went away because he won. Although and he nobody, said 3 million people illegally voted in California, stuff like that. You know, tried to throw some shade at California, right. but for the most part, it all went away. Then the pandemic started, and I think they started to see polling numbers. Mm-hmm. And they saw how their actions, frankly, around the pandemic 
were more destructive to to whether or not people were going to vote for them than anything else, or the lack of action. Um, and and then you saw this this attack, and mail ballots was kind of the first thing. And I was thinking, this is weird. He votes by mail all the time. So do most of the United States Senate. So does most of Congress. Like we actually, you can look it up. <laughs> A lot of the senators that attack it vote that way. Um, and he had multiple times. That was how he voted by mail. In fact, I think his daughter's ballot got rejected in New York for a signature not matching a few years ago before this. <laughs> um, so saw that I never expected to have to defend a method of voting and voting access against the White House. Like I never expected to be in the position of saying you're not like you're not being accurate. You're in fact checking the White House on these issues. But that happened. And then as you know, and with the loss and with the apparent loss, then they start throwing everything. Then it was they wanted villains, whether it was mail ballots or drop boxes or Dominion or I mean, they were throwing everything at the wall. But, but to see what I would always stick. Uh, aimed at Atlanta, Detroit, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Yes, big I cities. Always at big cities with uh, people of color yes. voting more than other places big cities and and but i think more importantly always with a focus on driving fear and using fear to manipulate and and all of this is about this the fear the trying to intimidate election officials i've gotten lots of the death threats that does it i'm not afraid of these people I'm, I'm not afraid of these people and frankly most election officials are not afraid of these people like it's 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 sad that and it's destructive to the operations and it's upsetting now, now are you to people. You're not afraid, or you're not going to let them. Stop I'm not going to let them stop me. I guess is a good way okay, to say it. Right. Sure, the fear of of what they say, and uh, you know, one of them. Uh, and this was again before January sixth. I got one that had a picture of my kids. It was through social media, and they were saying they were going to hang me from a tree outside my house in front of my kids. And then I see January sixth happen. And the the verbiage and the threats and, you know, the things against my – this stuff had been going on to election officials and many of us for two months prior to January 6th. And it's still happening today. And and But what it, what is sad about it, it is being driven by people who don't understand the election process. Like a lot of these people that claim all these things, they don't, they've never been a poll worker. They've never run an election. They've never even toured an election office. They're just grabbing at anything they can to create fear and a narrative that their guy didn't lose. But you their up, guy lost. Right, but you brought up grifting. Some people are doing it they're for They're raising profit. money. Yep, they're raising money off of people's oh, when fears. When did you first hear of Joe Oldman? Uh, right after the November tw- uh, 2020 election. Do you listen to talk radio? Uh, sometimes. Okay. I, I le- used to a I, lot I used, more. Yeah, when I was on, it was good. But yeah. <laughs> since then, it's gone downhill. And what happened with this election is that a week later, a guy who wants to be a broadcaster, and he has a podcast, Conservative Daily, Joe Oltman, with his old uh, partner, Max McGuire, who is now sniping at him and revealing things about Joe. But Joe broke some news, and he broke it to Randy Corcoran, who took my time slot. Now he's been replaced on Saturday morning by Peter Boyles. But back then, Corcoran and Boyles were friends, and Corcoran and Brockler, George Brockler, they knew this guy, Joe Altman, who I guess has been giving money to people in politics, 
and he's had this conservative daily podcast, which suddenly really got listeners when he said, I intercepted a call, an Antifa call. Eric Coomer from Dominion was on it. I figured it out. This guy said, I'm rigging the election against Donald Trump. There you go. And before you know it, he's on with Peter Boyles twice in a row, softball interviews, goes on with Corpin, goes on with Michelle Malkin, passed around Salem Media, which is just a bad place, has become mega mega world. And now they're all getting sued. Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell in Denver District Court. Randy Corcoran's getting sued. So is uh, KNUS, the station that did it. And so much of this deception, this bullshit about the last election flows right out of Colorado. Am I right? It, it does. And again, I all of the folks you mentioned have no understanding of how the, the process of elections work, the number of safeguards, and they didn't bother to understand it. And even if they would have understood a piece of it, they would have realized that those those lies don't hold up and that the, 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 the conspiracies that they are creating to advance their own careers, make money, be on a speaking circuit, whatever their goal is, um, it, it doesn't hold up because it doesn't make sense. Right, and and I've always said, like, you can be entitled to your own opinions, but you cannot create your own facts. Right, but and they're victimizing America, right? They are. They're hurting and they're taking, democracy. And they're taking advantage of people that are sad that their guy lost. Yes. And I get it. Like, I get that, obviously, President Trump had a number of supporters. I know many of the people that supported him. And, I, and, and they are being fed inaccurate information, and they're using this fear and these conspiracies to to create this what seems to be very stressful environment for these people they're giving them money by the way they're like raising money off right. of these people that are victims themselves to the conspiracies and the lies because they again don't understand the process and and, and they are intimidating any republican who might stand up to them yeah and they're intimidating and there's a real big attack right now on election officials you know, whether it's death threats and threats to their office, but now they're also filing, there's a whole circuit of uh, FOIA requests, like right. they're being shipped around and they're just filing and filing, every day filing more. And it's and it's like a denial of a service attack. They're, they're almost flooding the system to try to interfere with the current election process. And they're costing taxpayers a ton of money. This costs government right. a ton of money and it is frivolous and it's aggressive and it's a and it's a direct attack on local government across the country and they attack any republican who will vouch for the system take yes. wayne williams he's been a guest on my show yeah. and he's vouched for dominion and he gets attacked unmercifully yeah. am i right right and you know look dominion um like i've i've I have every confidence in the world in them. I know a lot about them. I know their employees. And I know how their system works. It's the most audited voting system in the country. It has gone through more risk-limiting audits, which is the highest level of security audits you can do, than any other voting system in the country. And and multiple hand counts in the state of Georgia and, you know, all of this, right? And 
What's incredible to me is they keep saying machine, 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 but yet it was designed around paper ballots and the counting and tabulation of paper ballots. And so, you know, look, Dominion's got a number of defamation suits. Um, I feel very badly that that their employees and the, the humans behind the scenes of their company have been attacked in the way that they have. Um, and I hope that, you know, and I know that they will have their day in court and, and there's so. going to be more and more evidence coming out. Yes. Um, and there already has been a, a ton. And, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that these people have gone after an American company based in Colorado um, that was designed with the utmost uh, election security um, approaches in mind and with a goal of, of creating new transparent technology that, that voters could utilize and that election officials can use in the process. And they've been unfairly attacked. And, you know, I, um, I hope that all those people that attack them will be held accountable. I think you should move to the Western Slope and run for office. And your campaign oh. can be, I am the anti, I'm the opposite of Tina Peters. I'm the, the opposite Western of Lauren Slope, Boebert. Huh? Well, just because I want that part of Colorado to be rescued. Oh, well, I, you know, the Western Slope is so pretty. I was in Crested Butte recently. Well, there you go. You could live right there. Um, Colorado's just All I'm saying is I think you are the opposite of Tina Peters because you understand elections and you are fair. You're not partisan. And tell us about Tina Peters and what that means to Colorado elections. So she got elected in 2018. And... She didn't raise any concerns about the voting system until 2020 or after 2020. Um, so she knows better, uh, I think. Maybe she doesn't. I but don't she think should. she does. She should know better. Um, and, you know, I think she got has gotten wrapped up in wanting to be famous and, and people offering her all kinds of things to be to be around and her 15 minutes of fame, I guess, is You mean on the, Lindell TV goal. Fly yeah, on the I mean, Lindell right? Jet. And I, I still have asked, um, you know, with his fasc- his fascination of, of Trump, I've, I'm still, and I don't know, I guess maybe somebody can answer this. Trump hotels, I assume, don't use the MyPillow brand in their hotels, but it would be an interesting question given their affinity and it proximity to each other. My guess is no, but... Um, it'd be an interesting question. Um, but again, the, the grifters and they are um, creating conspiracies and fear around something that they do not understand. And if they took a minute to understand the process and learn the process, they would find out that everything that they are saying and doing is uh, completely contrary to the rule of law, to the processes and the transparency and the security that exists, and and frankly, destructive to our form of government. Here's who I think is destructive, Jenna Ellis. I used to be friends with her. She used to fill in for me on the radio. She used to be anti-Trump. She was entertaining as she talked trash against Donald Trump, and now she is wholly in bed with him, claims to be some kind of election expert, while uh, Joe Oltman was polluting the airwaves at KNUS with his bullcrap. I heard Jen Ellis go on with my former partner, Dan Kaplis, and say, stop this deal, stop this deal, we're having a rally, they're stealing the election, they're doing this, they're doing that. And the only reason she has any qualifications to say that is because she's a Colorado lawyer, just like me. Mm-hmm. And a Colorado lawyer should not be putting out that kind of dishonesty. There are various bar complaints against her. 
I'm offended, disgusted. Do you know Jen Ellis? Is she a voting expert? Was she at those meetings with you? No, I don't. I don't know Jen. I've never met her. Uh, she's never run an election. Um, I believe she's a political lawyer, which is very different than being an election expert lawyer. Um, but you know, it seems to me she's been on the partisan political side of things, which is very different than election administration. My guess is she's never toured an election office. My guess is she's never observed processes. So yeah, I don't, um, definitely not on any list that I know of that would be considered an expert, probably not been qualified in court as an expert. Well, she's been qualified on the radio with Dan Kaplis, who Mm. thinks she's God's gift to being a great lawyer. Shows bad judgment on my part. But what about you? Have you been asked on Dan Kaplis' show to maybe express the opposite opinion from an informed uh, background. I, I have not uh, recently. I've certainly been on talk radio. In fact, you know, uh, Stephen Tubbs has had me on. George Brockler had me on a few years ago. Uh, Jimmy but has he had you on since you started hosting? I don't think the so. No, no, no. I no, I've not. I, I think he had um, Matt Crane was on once, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, uh, but I know a number of you know I've I've definitely been on the radio here and when I was no, in I Denver know. I was you're on, not shy um, I'd, I'd like to yes, have you I'm, on I'm, I'd like to have you on because you're the antidote to this bullcrap being spewed by other people no that's why yeah. the system works and this is just nonsense yeah and I and look I'm always happy to have I'm always happy to spend time explaining and answering questions because I do think. And I've and I started a lot of these uh, initiatives in Denver. You know, the more transparency, the better. I mean, I used to host a press tour, and they would mic me up, and I'd spend two or three hours walking all the reporters around the office and explaining every piece of it, so that they knew before going into the election what was what what to expect. We did the same thing for candidates on all sides of the aisle. We invited both parties in to watch the poll worker training. Like I did all of this. Like I, I transparency look is I think one of the great ways to explain this process to people and, and help educate them on the process. Uh, I think those that have gone to conspiracy lie destruction land are, are, you know, they probably don't care to know what the process is at this point, because that would be detrimental to them making the money that they're trying to make off of the lies and the grift. What are the answers? How do we solve this? I mean, maybe we got to start this week with the Department of Justice seizing Mike Lindell's phone. It apparently is related to Tina Peters. She might be prosecuted not only by Dan Rubenstein, in Mesa County, but also by the federal government. Do you think that's warranted? They apparently went into the machine. They made copies. Is that a crime in your judgment and something where people need to go to prison? Yeah, I mean, there was there's multiple issues in that, including uh, employee access badge for a non-employee. And I mean, there are there are specific standards around the, the security of our systems for a reason. It's critical infrastructure is designated as such under the Department of Homeland Security. And what I have said forever is is there has got to be accountability for people who try to interfere with election officials in their official duties, who try to interfere with voters, who try to uh, um, uh, create havoc or wreak havoc in a voting system, uh, try to mislead the public with bad information like we've seen from foreign actors that have tried to use social media in that way. All of those things are driven by bad actors. And so accountability and technically the rule of law should be 
protecting our systems that are in fact critical infrastructure uh, from interference from bad actors like that that are trying to destroy it. So accountability matters. Accountability is key. That's law enforcement. There's been very few prosecutions of those that have tried to threaten or intimidate election officials. What about people threatening you as law enforcement responded? I gave, I submitted everything in, um, gosh, back in, well, that was late 2020, early 2021. Um, not, I'm not aware of any, any, any prosecutions. People on that. need to be held accountable, right? And, and Where is law been... enforcement? And I'm a little worried. And I think on January 6th, part of the calculation of Trump and the people who did this was that law enforcement was on their side. Thank God for the Capitol Police holding the line. But I worry about law enforcement. And the MAGA influence there. Do you? Yeah, I, I look, I, I know a number of people in law enforcement. I have tremendous respect for those that serve in that in that um, in that field. And I think again, for the most part, they're all good. Um, but but if there are some bad actors or there are, you know, it, it is it is suspicious to me now when I see thousands of threats against election officials around the country with less than five prosecutions so far, um, and a number of threats against officials here in Colorado, including Secretary Griswold that you mentioned, including various county clerks, including my good friend Lori Mitchell in Chafee County and and around the state. I mean, election officials around the state have experienced this and little to no uh, accountability on and, these and issues. And in rural and, Colorado, sometimes the sheriffs are part of underground movements. Yeah, I, I how bad has that gotten in America? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. You probably have to ask an expert on sheriffs okay. and maybe a law enforcement person. Right. But I've heard of, you know, these sorts of groups. Um, but I do think it is a problem when we see the lack of accountability and lack of movement on very specific death threats that election officials have provided. Under our laws in Colorado, we have laws against interfering with election officials in the course of their duties. And we have um, mechanisms that can hold people to account. And there has not been accountability on this stuff. So I do think we've got to pay close attention to this. And if it's not being prosecuted or it's not being followed through, not being followed upon, followed up on, then we need to ask why. And, and there should be answers from that, from the law enforcement field, because, um, you know, our election officials should be able to do their jobs and run the process to support our democracy without being threatened and interfered with by those that want to destroy democracy. Right. And there are laws protecting judges and jurors. Mm-hmm. You think about a juror, they're yes. doing a job much like a voter, yes. a civic duty. We need to honor that and respect it. And as a matter of fact, when in Batson v. North Carolina, they said, you know, you can't remove somebody with a peremptory challenge just because they're black or Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with the fairness of the trial. It has to do with that juror's experience, just like you care about voter experience. Our Supreme Court back then cared about the juror experience. This is their touch with government. It's sacred. Yes. This time with you has been tremendous. We have to end on another courageous person. Nothing's going to stop you. I think you are going to be a major figure in a lot of things, Colorado and beyond. Good luck to you. But Adam Kinzinger. Oh, yeah. I, 
I just salute the guy. I've done a show about Liz Cheney. She's wonderful, too. But Adam Kinzinger, you knew him. You're still in touch. How do you feel about what happened on January 6th? And can we trust Adam Kinzinger to never let this go, just like you'll never let it go uh, to make sure America has fair voting? Is Adam that kind of guy? Oh, he is that kind of guy. And look, like I've, uh, I uh, think I mentioned to you, him and I have been friends for, well, I've known him a little over 20 years now. And, um, and you know, again, someone who served multiple tours, he deeply cares about this country. Um, and he, I think, has demonstrated that on the January 6th commission hearings, uh, his commitment to the truth and telling the truth to to um, to everyone about what happened and being honest with your voters. So he's he's talked extensively about this that Republican leaders need to be honest about the election in 2020 and and not fuel more fires around democracy. Um, he's a good person and he's you know leaving Congress um, chose not to run again and uh, you know I think um, he he's he is one of those public servants. He's always going to be a, a public servant. He deeply cares about our our constitution and, and our country and making it better. And um, and I'm grateful for his friendship, but I'm also grateful that there's, you know, people like him out there in, in the political spectrum that are, that are um, uh, demonstrating leadership uh, like he is. I'm grateful to you. Lincoln was a great leader in Illinois for the most part, mm-hmm. and I can see that running through Adam Kinzinger and you, Amber McReynolds. Thanks so much for doing this. I, I hope you had a good time. I did. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156 
please call Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, 303-734-7156. Bright Wing Media Watch. Bright Wing Media Watch. Oh, another episode of Right Wing Media Watch. Mike Lindell getting stopped at that man Cato Hardy's and his phone seized. The story is well told by Rick Salinger at News 4, a guest of this show, friend of this show. Rick Salinger focuses on the Colorado aspect. This has to do with Colorado, Tina Peters, and that could lead right back to the insurrection, the coup. The Plot Against America, organized by the MAGA world, Team Trump. Tina Peters did not come up with this. Listen to Mike Lindell talk with Rick Salinger of News 4 in Denver. CBS 4 has learned that a federal grand jury in Colorado is looking into election-related issues. Subpoenas have already been issued. CBS 4 investigator Rick Salinger live at federal court tonight. And Rick, you spoke with one of those who did receive one of those subpoenas. Well, Karen, Mike Lindell is perhaps best known as the pillow man. But he's also known for his strong stance claiming that the last presidential election involved voting machine fraud. Now, a federal grand jury wants some information from him. It was at a fast food restaurant in Mankato, Minnesota. FBI agents approached Mike Lindell. He was presented with a search warrant. He said it was for his phone. I said, I'm not giving you the phone. And he, and he said, I said, so you're going to have to arrest me. He goes, well, he goes, no, we're taking the phone. Known as the pillow guy, he indicated the subject with the agents included the Mesa County, Colorado clerk. They asked me one thing. When was the first time I met Tina Peters? I said I, I was at the cyber symposium in August of 21. Peters is already charged in Colorado State Court regarding secure election equipment images that were posted on the Internet. She and Lindell both believed the 2020 presidential election was stolen. They're worried about the image that came out of Mesa County that with Tina Peters when she did her backup. I'm sure you're aware of that. That backup that she did, that image out there is up on Frank's speech. This is a letter Lindell revealed stating a criminal investigation of a suspected felony is being conducted by a federal grand jury in the District of Colorado. There is also a subpoena to testify with the name Michael J. Lindell and a box marked documents checked. The one marked person is not. Do you have to appear in person to present what they're seeking? No, they already gave, already gave them the cell phone. All the rest of that thing is cell phone, cell phone, cell phone. He has until November 3rd to turn over the information requested. We reached out to Tina Peters today, but she had no comment. Live at U.S. District Court in Denver, Rick Salinger covering Colorado First. All right, Rick. President Joe Biden's. Now, Mike Lindell will go on all sorts of media, including disgraced individuals like Steve Bannon, who is a big part of this mega, mega world. He has a podcast that's hugely popular, even though he's been arrested over and over, even though he's a grifter, a swindler. Lindell, I guess it's professional courtesy, he goes on Bannon's show to announce that after the seizure of his phone, 
he's hired the great Alan Dershowitz to represent him. Some of the best lawyers in the country, Alan Dershowitz, um, Andrew Parker, Kurt Olson, amongst others. What can we do with what happened on on uh, with this uh, seizure of my phone? They say FBI corruption, and uh, we are suing. As you're hearing it here first, everybody, we're suing the United States government and the FBI. And this isn't just to get the phone back. This is this is uh, my first, fourth, and fifth amendment rights were broken in the constitutional right. And uh, this is this needs to be go everywhere. We're not going to put up with this. We're not going to be the Gestapo like in uh, Nazi Germany. Steve, this is uh, we're being proactive. I was on the phone with these attorneys. I said, no, I want to sue. What what can we do? We got all the lawyers on the phone. They looked up all these statutes. We're going to go places where no man has gone before. This will set a precedent. This has to stop. Nobody gets to bash people's door down and you get 40 seconds to answer your door. Nobody gets to corner and take a phone away of a private citizen, their company phone, so uh, and their hearing aids, everything else. It, everything I had was in that phone of all these businesses, my pillow, my store, Frank's speech, uh, passwords to be able to do money wires that I can't do right now. Those aren't in any cloud. I mean, this has got to stop, Steve, and we're going to... Now, here's the incongruity of Dershowitz representing Lindell. Or maybe not, because there are a lot of Jewish lawyers who have decided to make money representing these people. I guess you get your name in the paper, you get the money. That guy who's represented, Bannon, who represented the president in that fixed impeachment trial where he lost, but he won. And then you have Mike Lindell hiring Dershowitz. Meanwhile, Lindell went to a religious gathering. Eric Metaxas from Salem is always there. He's the king of the religious broadcasters, a friend of Jenna Ellis, a defendant in the lawsuit Eric Coomer has brought in Denver court. Eric Metaxas is part of the event, but Mike Lindell is the centerpiece. Even after the FBI has executed a probable cause warrant on his phone. And these people are known by Adam Kinzinger, who's a friend of our guest, Amber McReynolds. And Kinzinger has correctly predicted, because he is religious, he is a Republican, and he knows these people are not going to give up, and that it's a religious thing, as demonstrated by this event this week called Flashpoint Live, featuring Mike Lindell, Eric Metaxas, and other people on a pulpit saying things like this, taking pledges. You can see it all on a website, a Twitter feed called Patriot Takes. I like that website. Listen to this. Can you put it back up there? We'll do the rest of it. We know this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We know the truth. Therefore, we stand for truth and will never be deceived. We will never stop fighting. We will never, ever, ever give up or give in. We will take our country back. We will honor the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. America shall be saved. 
Well, you know, Adam Kinzinger wrote, this should make everybody concerned or something like that about these people. He's right. We agree. So we give him some new stuff to talk about. And now here comes Eric Metaxas, who always turns things around. And he claims that the left are the Nazis when Nazis came from the right. They need to know history. This is where Peter Boyle's got it so screwed up. And anti-Semites do that. They like to make believe that Jews were responsible for Hitler. So were leftists. But in fact, the Nazis were against the left. Nazis fought the commies, right? Get it correct. Mike Lindell never gives up on the grift. Even at that church service, he's pumping out product. And it works, just like for Alex Jones, another guy who preys on people in a cult-like way. Mike Lindell, go ahead, Mike. Well, I want to thank Pastor Hank. He said I could uh, give out a promo code tonight, and I'm going to give out FBI. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to thank all of you. That promo code does work, by the way. You can save on my store and on my pillow. How much can I save with FBI? You can save up to 66% of anything on my pillow. So what does Dan Kaplis do? What can he do when Mike Lindell has his phone seized on a PC warrant? Well, he has a decision to make. Am I going to back him or what? Well, the answer was revealed by Twitter because uh, the House Republicans backed Lindell right away. So have other prominent Republicans, including the big leader, the big cheese on his truth social platform, He castigated the FBI for taking the phone of Mike Lindell, and everybody's backing that play. And now you have Heidi Ganahl, who goes on Dan Kaplan's show with regularity. She came on my show. That was nice, but honestly, I can't vote for her after she picked an election denial person, that Danny Moore. Are you kidding me? Amber McReynolds was on the Independent Redistricting Commission. You can't have an election denialist in power like that. And Heidi Ganahl, I don't know if she's that way, but she's playing footsie with them. And also she's kowtowing and scraping to Brockler and Kaplis who have declared war on Kyle Clark ever since Kyle Clark defeated them and exposed them in the great battle of Douglas County. And now, I guess, to be friends with Kaplis and Brockler, you have to disrespect Kyle Clark our guest on episode 100. And that you're going to have a Republican candidate who may not crack 40% because the campaign has been just that weak. Kyle Clark, who broke great stories that were to the detriment of the left this week, done Republic school stories. That guy's a journalist, contrary to right-wing talk radio. Listen to how it went when uh, Dan Kaplis had Heidi Ganahl on Listen to her gratuitous shot against Kyle Clark and listen to the gay bashing. Honest to God, Dan Kaplis, you really go after Polis in a way that's just beyond the pale. Our first gay governor, our first Jewish governor, and consistently you talk about his money, you talk about his privilege, you talk about him being uh, his panties in a twist. 
And now you get Heideggenall in a conversation about whether he's a wimp or a Karen. What the hell, man? Is that what Christian nationalism does to you? I knew you were against gay marriage. We debated that back in the day. Are you like Ted Cruz? You're not giving up on that one? Well, that might work on KLC, and you can keep paying for it on KHOW, but it's not good for our society. And I'm going to speak up, and I am right here, but I think you make the case against yourself with Heidi Ganahl. You are a very strong person. You've proven that in your life. You proved it in business. You've proven it with what you've overcome on the health front. You are tough as nails. Polis, when it comes to crime, is provably a wimp, a mega wimp. People want strength right now when it comes to crime. I, I just would love to see that and hear that where people say, wow, that, that is one strong fill in the blank. And, and we need a strong person now to, to protect us. I think that's a great idea, Dan. Because didn't you start I'll, the I'll campaign the by calling him a wimp? I'm, I'm trying to remember the verbatim, but... Wasn't there some big speech early on where you called him out essentially for being a wimp on crime and things like that? I can't remember the exact word. It might have been wimp. Yeah, I mean, that was actually we launched the campaign one year ago. Oh, Karen. You called him a Karen. I called him a Karen. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Same thing, right? Yeah, I think it's it's worse than that now. It's it's criminal yeah. what's happening to our state and what's happening to our neighborhoods and our kids' future. And and I I'm happy to call him out. We're going to do some debates as well. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to making him be accountable for his record and actually what he's done, not what Kyle Clark and Nine News right. wants to make you think right. he's done. It's right. not okay. Well, keep up the great work. Then you have the decision that Dan Kaplis had to make on Mike Lindell, and he decided to go full Tucker Carlson with the aid of his producer, Ryan Schuling, who pulls bites for the busy Dan Kaplis, who just walks in and plays them without hearing them until they're aired for the rest of us. He trusts Schuling, and I know Schuling's going to pull Tucker Carlson because he worships Carlson, and Dan Bongino even talks about it. And Dan Kaplan used to be more reasonable than this, but now he's using the Nazi language? Come on, Dan, against Biden? Really? We start talking, and they're asking me questions about Colorado. And uh, I said, you know, you guys, I said, are you going to arrest me? I said, I've been asking for you guys. This will make international, this will make national news. And they go, no, no, we're not going to arrest you. I'm going... Well, then what do you want? And they go, we're going to ask you some questions. Yeah, and then Tucker Carlson jumped into this. And, uh, cut five, please, Ryan. Tucker Carlson. We told you last night that the Biden administration has politicized law enforcement to the point where it feels Soviet. And we were not overstating it. The FBI has just raided the guy who sells pillows on this channel. Not because the pillows were bad, but because they don't like who we voted for. Matt Finn is tracking the developments in that story tonight. Matt? Tucker, Mike Lindell, known as the Pillow Guy, reports on his live stream, Lindell TV, that FBI agents located him, questioned him, showed him their badges, and asked him questions about Colorado and Dominion voting machines, and then provided him with a warrant to seize his cell phone. Yeah, you know, as the son of a 30-year Chicago cop and a guy who represents and has represented for decades a lot of law enforcement 
uh, it's just so sad and even obscene to me to see the way that uh, the Biden administration and the left, you know, by politicizing DOJ is is just undermining the reputation of the FBI. Listen, I have no idea what Lindell has done or not done. I can't comment on that. It's more the way things are being approached. And and it is, I think it's deliberate on the part of Biden. Just look at his speech last week. I mean, they had to work for hours to get that exact kind of Nazi-esque shade of red and to get that very ominous and threatening lighting with the two Marines who were misused for political purposes, meant as an obvious threat, you know, to fall in line or the force of the state will be used against you. It's just so unfair to law enforcement, you know, for for the left to be doing and, and Biden spearheading it, what they are with law enforcement. Listen, if there are legitimate charges to be brought, if crimes have been committed, well, then you can handle it in a much different way than Lindell just described. Or we have seen other people on the right, you know, apprehended. There are much different ways to handle it. Exhibit A might be, Ryan, what would come to mind? Uh, what's her name? Yeah, Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, though they never did pursue her crimes, but the way she was handled, I, I don't remember a description of her at a Hardee's with cars pulling up or her answering the door at one of their estates with SWAT teams outside. There are different ways to handle this. So I think clearly Biden is trying to send a message, you know, which is fall in line behind me or be prepared for the full force of the state to descend upon you. And you never know when or where. And again, what a mistake to take the Mike Lindell side. Lindell was involved in an insurrection and a big lie of fraud that may ruin America yet. And yet, a smart guy like Dan Kaplan can't call it out. Is he part of the cult? Or is it just a business decision? You decide. Brockler takes it on a little, but not that much. He's a paid spokesman for the Republicans. Honestly, the guy does ads for the Republican Party, and he's supposed to be objective and wonders why a Democrat won't go on his show when he's paid push that product the same way he pushes reverse mortgages guy has no shame. He wants to make money. A lot of these people do, but at what cost? What cost? These are not normal times. I don't want to be ruled by mobsters like Putin and Xi or Ben Salman, but you're going to let Trump get back in power by not standing up to him? You like the Godfather? You admire Tony Soprano? You want him to run the country? Guys like Ryan Schuling, they they seem to have that in them. And Dan Kaplis doesn't put them down. And I've seen this before with the right-wing producers drawn, not by the salary, God knows they don't make much, but the opportunity to get their voices heard and to express how they feel as a white man, how marginalized they feel, like Sonny Corleone, who wants to just get mad. And the FBI is the enemy. And even Dan Kaplan seemed a little startled when Ryan Schuling compared the stop at Hardy's, which seemed kind of friendly to the scene in The Godfathers on a causeway with uh, the great James Caan playing Sonny Corleone. But the most interesting part of this next soundbite is Schuling going off on the government. Their only motivation is this, and Joe Biden is doing that. And when he makes this Sonny Corleone thing, Dan Kaplis tries to back it down. And Schuling says, no. Well, you can hear it for yourself. 
Anyway, give a listen. Dan, isn't the only reason or motivation what you just outlined is through fear and intimidation? Because like you said, there are other methods by which the federal government, the FBI, the DOJ could obtain information from Mike Lindell. They could subpoena him. They could order him to testify. He could be compelled to testify. Steve Bannon refuses to honor a subpoena, and then he gets punished by the force of law. But you don't go, like you said, Cutting a guy off at a Hardee's drive-thru is reminiscent of the causeway scene in The Godfather where they ambush Sonny Corleone. And I'm not comparing it to that. I'm just saying there is a different way to... For example, within this example of Mike Lindell. Okay, if these, these agents are under orders, it appears, to get his phone. Well, obviously, he'd been being followed. There must be some time he's going to be outside the car. And you just walk up to him, Mr. Lindell, I have a warrant. May I have your phone? So there you have another episode of Right Wing Media Watch. These guys prop up Lauren Boebert, and Lauren Boebert may win again. And that's bad for Colorado. That's bad for America. When will these guys take on Marjorie Taylor Greene or Carrie Lake in Arizona? Have you heard Brockler talk about that? What about the fact that abortion, they said they wanted it to be a states' rights issue, now it appears Republicans want a national abortion law. Yeah, we could see that coming. We could see all of this coming. We're seeing it and we're standing up. People like Amber McReynolds, I admire her standing up. I admire you listening to this. I hope you liked it. I hope it's instructive. It was good to get it off my chest. Thanks for listening to another edition of Right Wing Media Watch. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go. You know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? 
best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to LLC.com And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Troubadour Dave Gunders, welcome back. Always a pleasure, Craig. How you doing? Excellent. You taught me something about Amber, the song by 311. I, I didn't know who it's by, but I, I recognized the song. And when, you, and when you interviewed Amber, I thought I started singing it. And what is the tagline? Whoa, Amber is the color of your energy. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I was hoping to get that. That's better than the original artist. Honestly, <laughs> you should do covers, but your own work is so good. You know, I'm crazy for you and your songs. What about this song, Crazy for You? Well, that was a fun one because I did it with both my daughters. I know. And you talked about their sexy ways, and Human Services is on their way over to your house, but that's okay. It's for art, right? No, 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 no. You got it wrong. They happened to, to be the ones harmonizing with me. The song had nothing to do with them. Other Don't than, you have a line about their sexy not ways? their sexy ways. The person Her, who I'm speaking to. It's okay. It worked for the Trumps, you know. <laughs> I don't want to put you in that league. They just came and sang. <laughs> I like the concept of crazy, and I like all the fiddling. Did mm. you fiddle? I'm not a fiddler. Johnny Neal. Johnny Neal, he's my go-to fiddler. Great musician. And then your lyrics are kind of crazy, for lack of a better word. Fun, yeah. I had fun writing them. They, that was a song that came really quickly and, uh, and kind of- uh, Were you on yeah, acid? No, I, no, 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 I don't write on acid, but- um, um, What about that part about a fish in the ocean? And right, right. And I, I, I mean, I where all of a sudden you're in the ocean first like I a rise, fish. I, I rise and, I and then I sink. You ever seen a, a fish that's not doing so well? You know he he'll make a he'll make a push for the surface, and then and then his illness kind of drags him down, and then he pushes again. It's usually before he, before he's about to turn up his fins. You know, right? So were you writing about love? Yeah, crazy for you. Crazy for you. Love. But I'm going love. to apply it to another guy in the news. Go ahead, Mike Lindell. Crazy. Is he crazy? Um, or his crazy ideas. like a fox. His ideas. I, I don't know about the fox. I, I don't He's know anything about. He's made a lot of money selling yeah. pillows. I don't know anything about the man. His ideas are crazy. I know a little yeah. bit about him. What do you want to know? You know where he's from? Uh, no. Come on, by his accent. I don't even Minnesota. think I've listened to him very much. Okay. Near right. Mankato, where he got stopped at the Hardee's. The FBI seized his phone this week. That I did hear, yes. Before he was successful as a pillow maker what did he do got me cocaine a lot of cocaine and doesn't he was surprise a gambler me. right you know what saved him no jesus come on man get is, with the program is that it he found religion yes. he wears cross on his lapel okay the fbi let him keep that but not his phone how would you like your phone seized at a drive-thru i wouldn't like it i i, I don't think it would turn much up you know, but uh, he's probably pretty upset about it. Nobody wants to give up their phone. He says no. he ran all his businesses off of it, all his passwords. I believe it. You can do a lot on your phone. Absolutely. Yeah, he probably How did. How invasive. You know who he just hired who as he, his lawyer? 
No, who? Alan Dershowitz. Oh, now he's got his own problems, doesn't he? Well, he, with Jeffrey Epstein, he, he had a massage yeah. by one of the girls, but yeah. he kept his underwear on, and so... Okay, well... Holy cow, I had that night at the Paramount with Alan Dershowitz, and I thought, wow, what a great guy. How interesting. He's got his shit together, and now he's representing Mike Lindell after he represented Trump and Jeffrey Epstein, and I just don't admire him that much anymore. No, I've disadmired him, if that's a word. It's a word now. It is. Yes, you took your admiration back. Yep. That's the nature of these times. I think you are going to love the interview with Amber McReynolds, and she's going to be crazy about you. I'm sorry I forgot to ask her about how she feels about Troubadour Dave Gunders, but I'd say that 99% of the audience... And even more of that, of the women, they like you. Did you tell her I have a face that's right for radio? No, because there's podcasting, and you're a good-looking man. Anybody can look that up. Before we go, tell people where they can see your mug in person, because you are playing a lot of gigs. You know, there's um, next weekend, um, this is next weekend down at Clement Park, there's going to be uh, a fundraiser for... Uh, an organization called Second Wind, and it it it, it helps young young people who have who who are in need of some kind of um, um, you know, second chance. Yeah, therapy, basically right. therapy, making sure that everybody's everybody's heard. People with problems, particularly young, I think, kind of middle school and high school kids, um, and so they they. Um, I think they 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 have therapists available and this kind of thing. So, and it's so a fundraiser. you're going to it's perform? A, it's a run, yes. I am going to be the entertainment. I don't think oh they could boy. get anyone else to come at 8 o'clock You know what else you could do? If you could walk with these kids, could you give me therapy on my walks with you? And I thank you for that. I hope there's it's no mutual. charge. It's yeah. mutual. And, uh, well, if any kid wanted to walk, I'd be, I'd be down with that. Yeah, it'd be fun. Well, people should go to Clement Park. Check it out. Dave Gunders, our troubadour. Enjoy his song, Crazy for You. Thanks, troubadour. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks, Craig. Hours passing like a day, days pass like an hour. You don't hear word I say, crazy for you. I'm crazy for you Once I have you in my arms Truly now I come to heaven Captured by your sexy charms I'm crazy for you I'm crazy for you I don't care how much it costs If it's love or just desire Without you my love is lost
swimming like a fish in water First I rise, then I sink I'm crazy for you I'm crazy for you And I know you'll send me down the road One fine day out in the future Happy when I lose control Crazy for you I'm crazy for you Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and, you know, meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's Attitude Mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hey, I told you this would be good, and I think it is. It's sad to see what Cahill has become. Afternoon drive. I don't even listen in the morning, and I don't listen that much in the afternoon. But if Lauren Boebert is going to be on, she is a major figure in America. I'm going to pay attention. I happen to hear that, and I think it's instructive. I hope you found it instructive, too. Dave Gunders, thank you for your song, Crazy For You. It's infectious. It'll get in your head. I'm crazy for you. Anyway, he never lets me sing back up. Now you know why. Thanks for being there every week for me. If you tell a friend, rate five stars, Apple Podcasts. It's a little bit of a schlep to get to the rating system, but well worth it. I see it. I love it. 
I love you listening. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.